ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit. This is where the big boys play. This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, your pop culture home. Well, hello everyone. You're listening to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad Campbell. How are you, Chad? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Parv? I'm doing uh, very well. Now, it's been a it's been a little while since our last show, um, but there's a there's a good reason for that, um, among other things. Um, what it's because of, we're doing a special show today, uh, Chad. Why don't you explain uh, what we're doing to the uh, to the listeners here? Well, uh, as uh, the listeners know, with the conclusion of Starcade 1989, we'd watched all the uh, super shows of the 80s uh, that came out for Jim Crockett Promotions. But as you know, as most people know with wrestling, that doesn't really give you the whole story. So we haven't watched any TV matches from the era, and we kind of wanted that to be represented. So we uh, made a post on Pro Wrestling Only uh, and got a sampling of 28 matches that was recommended and then started the process of trying to accumulate all 28 matches, which took a, a little bit of time, but we were able to do it. And uh, so it's going to be two shows. Uh, our first show covers 1983 through 1987, which is the show today. And then we'll uh, come back with our second show, which will be 1988 and 1989. Yeah, and uh, it, I will say thanks a lot to Loss, for who made a lot of these recommendations, and to other members of the community as well, like uh, Shu, I think, uh, recommended a few of these matches. Uh, and also thanks to uh, Brick Hithouse, who... Um, helped us out with some of this footage that we could just literally couldn't track down anywhere. Um, so that was very helpful. Um, and even then, Chad, I think one of our 28 matches here is not the right one. <laughs> we'll, we'll get when we get. Oh, to really? It. Yeah. When we'll, when we get okay. to it, uh, we can talk about it then. Um, before getting into these uh, matches, uh, Chad, um, why don't we talk a little bit about the, 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 the new website that, that you've been a part of right now? And uh, I, I'm aware uh, that things have been happening in uh, Shikara, which I have no, no idea about. Um, I thought I'd give you a couple of minutes to talk about it now, given that you're, uh, you know, a go-to indie guy for a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, first off, the website is uh, placetobenation.com, which is something that uh, kind of amazingly came about, really. I mean, it was... Literally, uh, I know Brad uh, Woodling had a conversation with Justin Rosero on uh, just a random kind of Facebook chat one night. And then by the next day, me and uh, Scott Criscolo were brainstorming. We came up with a domain name, like pretty much that whole day we were messaging each other and getting together. Uh, so we, we've launched a little over a week now, and I'm really excited. I mean, I think it's going to be a great kind of uh, hub for all facets of uh, pop culture. There's a lot of stuff that I'm interested in uh, that 
I can read about there, such as great uh, sports articles on the NBA and for all the other sports, there will be articles, some movie reviews, uh, some gaming stuff, which I'm not well versed in, but uh, interested to maybe discover a little more. I know you're pretty uh, versed in that category, Parv. <laughs> and then uh, kind of just uh, a lot of stuff. So I'm really excited about it. Um and I uh, hope everybody can check us out. Uh, we've been up for over, like I said, just over a week, and we've already got uh, around, I think, about 80 things of uh, content, 80 stories of content up. So it's been pretty pretty spectacular so far. And th- this is going to be yet another place that the Where the Big Boys Play podcast lives, right? We're, 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 you can get the this, this show through that site. So, right, yeah, this is uh, right. And one uh, one thing about this is uh, I know at work sometimes people have kind of funny download restrictions. Uh, so if you're not able to download it uh, at work, if you're not able to download the show at work with the Place to Be Nation website, you can go to our posting there of the new show and actually stream it straight from the website. Uh, there's an embedded player that will stream the episode straight from the website. So that'll help because uh, sometimes at my work, they decide that our content is explicit part and I'm not <laughs> able to, uh, I'm not able to download our own show. So uh, that, that is something that I think uh, will helpful. Whether you, if you do want to stream it, you can straight from the website. Oh, okay. <laughs> I it, it is actually marked explicit on uh, on iTunes, so that's probably yeah. <laughs> but uh, we have so. we have. I mean, what, once in a while, we've uh, th- there's been some curse words on this show. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, th- I think that's the way we wanted it, but I mean, it's it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, my work's firewalls ridiculous, <laughs> but um, that'll so, be a solution to that problem. So, so what about this? Uh, uh, shikara business uh did you want to touch on this i'll give you a few minutes uh yeah i mean i think with shikara now we're sort of in a holding pattern to see exactly what happens now did you kind of uh hear what happened at the last iPay-per-view? um well i i got the gist that something big happened um but i'm not aware of any of these guys so I, it didn't okay. really make any sense to me I, I did read your thing on it but uh like I don't really understand the context, you know. So, are you familiar with Mike Quay? Uh, with, with Bush at all? Uh, a, a little bit. I've heard the name, and I've I've seen him okay. a couple of times, but uh, no. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess the basic cliff notes is he's the promoter of Chikar. Uh, I mean, owner. I don't really know how the owner breakdown goes because that's kind of part of the question. There's been a bunch of. I guess rumors about what has been going on with Quackenbush in his personal life and whether he now has the right to the Chikara name and all this stuff because he has been promoting some of these wrestling is shows, which I think are some of the most uh, annoying type of shows you've ever heard. I mean, I, <laughs> you would hate these, I'm pretty sure, part because they're like wrestling is fun. Right. And wrestling is hard and, you know, just just these terrible names of these shows with kind of hokey uh, wrestling action. So uh, there there was a lot of rumors surrounding the Chikara iPay-Per-View last 
week and uh, they were not selling any tickets to any of the upcoming shows so that got people in all despair and at the end of the show uh, i don't know have you watched the sopranos part uh yes i've watched a bit of it yeah okay well they basically did the sopranos ending i don't know if you've ever seen the final episode of the sopranos but you know it's kind of ambiguous uh, with what happens because it basically cuts off uh, in mid journey song. Right. That's the last frame of the show. They they essentially did that where in the main event, Icarus had Eddie Kingston and the Chikara special, which is uh, their signature su- submission move that Chikara invented. And Condor security, a bunch of guys rushed the ring and yanked both guys out and the referee, and then they destroyed the set. And apparently at the actual show, they were, I mean, almost forcibly pushing the patrons out of the arena. And then the next day, they said every show was canceled and all this stuff. So people, you know, of course, I got people out of the woodwork saying they'd bought plane tickets and everything else. Uh, so there, there was a lot of uh, meltdowns going on around the internet, and that it's still, I, I mean, there's still a lot of people that say it's worth. There's still some people. I mean, I, I honestly think if I had to put money on it right now, I would say it was the end of the Chicard name, and they'll, they'll just right. be, uh, they'll come back rebranded as these wrestling is shows. I mean that, but uh, there's some people that think it's a work, and they'll come back actually under the Chikar moniker. So it's kind of a wait and see right now. You, you don't think it's a work? Um, I I don't know. I mean, they there's been a lot of reports like PWI Insider, uh, PW Insider had a uh, an article on it a couple uh, days ago where. Chakar PR denied that it was it had anything to do with any personal going ons with Quack, uh, but then they also reported that some of the wrestlers last Sunday had to sign like no disclosures and all this stuff, which is very it's it's just very bizarre because if you follow the promotion Chakar part, of it's very comic oriented where yeah, I, if. I, they, they really want you, like, I am not enough in the loop to really get all the intricate touches that, I, just because I don't really like the product that much, but if you're really invested in the product, it's almost cultish how uh, some people are with the product and the intricate details of the product, so this was kind of of all the indie promotions to do this, I think this sort of created the biggest stir because even if ROH had something like this, uh, I mean, honestly don't think people are traveling or doing anything else for, I mean, I know there's people that came from Canada and sort of across the U S uh, I think even our, uh, atomic elbow, our friend Robert may have actually made the trek up to Philadelphia to go to this show live. I'm not quite sure, but, uh, well, my, my, did, one thing I'll say is that if it is a work, um, it's certainly succeeded in creating something of a splash in the uh, in the little corner of the internet that we're you know in the little corner of fandom that we take part in. Like I was seeing, uh, people were talking about it on the um, on the Place to Be Facebook page, for example, 
Uh, people were talking about it on PWO. So, I mean, it, yeah. it, like for it to get on my radar, <laughs> that's not a bad, you know, I, I've, I've been perfectly okay ignoring uh, that promotion for uh, the past few years, but uh, it was difficult to ignore this event when it happened. So Right. I mean, I mean, they were trending on Twitter uh, during the show, pretty pretty consistently during the show was going on. They were one of the U.S. worldwide or U.S. Uh, wide trends, top trends, which, as we know from the uh, constant lambasting WWE does with their Twitter, that doesn't necessarily mean a ton business wise. Right. Uh, but but I do think it means something that at least people were becoming aware i mean i i doubt you're going to buy an i-pay-per-view if they come back but now you are at least a little bit more aware of their uh, product and what's going on so all right well uh <laughs> any any more to say about uh shikari i mean do you think this is the end for them uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, like I said, like right now, if I had to check, uh, if I had to guess, I would say maybe in the fall, uh, September, October-ish, maybe we'll get a wrestling is show. And I, I kind of feel like that'll be the rebranding. Uh, and and I, I would guess since it is Chikar, they'll do a lot of viral marketing. Uh, in relation to that with videos and kind of secret messages and stuff like that. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it's been really weird. Like there's been a lot going on because part of the angle surrounding what was going in last Sunday involved like time travel. And it's, it's been a really kind of goofy, complicated thing to follow. So actually, it's you're, sort of, you're right about one thing. It's not a promotion. I'm have any no, interest in at yeah. all. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that, that part of it, like, like I say, they get so kind of, uh, I, I mean, there was, there's just facets of the product that can, that can be really good. Like in the match, Last uh, Sunday, they had a, 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 a the announcer wrestled a match versus one of the wrestlers, Tim Donce and uh, Gavin Loudspeaker. They were in a hair versus hair match, and it was kind of like a. I mean, to me, I thought it was a really good match and sort of like a poor man's version of the Jim Cornette, Polly Dangerously Tuxedo match. But uh, you know, for what they were trying to accomplish, I thought it was very well done. But then they just, uh, I mean, that that uh, followed a sarcophagus match, which is basically a coffin match between Amasis and Ophidian. Right. And uh, I, I, I hated that match. Like, I, it went 30 minutes. Ophidian, at one point, used his powers to control Amasis. <laughs> I mean, it's... And, it's a- it's something we haven't really talked about in this show yet, but we will when we get to 1995, I'm sure. But um, I'm like, I'm all up for goofiness in wrestling, like cartooniness, but I'm not up for um, supernatural. I don't like it when supernatural stuff gets involved with a possible pass for The Undertaker, I guess. But uh, like, do you know what I mean when people are actually doing magic and things? <laughs> Yeah, I mean that that that's annoying. I would say my biggest offense with Chikar is when they get too cute. I, th- I think "cute"s the best adjective to do, where they think they're. I mean, like when they think they're so ironically hilarious, that's 
probably my least favorite thing with Chikara. Like when they do the the slow motion spots and bring in like these uh, nostalgia acts and have them just kind of do the uh, yeah, it's, it's starting to what, get me frustrated. And it's meant to be like something that all of the smart fans in the audience can laugh at with them type thing. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah you're in on the joke with the audience, yeah. Yeah, so it, it's, it's, it sounds horrible. I'll be honest. Yeah, it's 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 not something that uh, I really think many people on the uh, you know I know most on the PWO board do not appreciate that type of wrestling. But I mean, they do have. I mean, it's a small core of fans, but they do have their core fans that, like I said, are like insanely committed to the product because they're willing to travel hundreds of miles to come see it. But, I mean, in a weird way, they kind of have like an ECW thing going in microcosm. Do, do you know what I mean yeah, by that, that an- analogy? Like- that was exactly something that uh, Dylan and uh, Dave Musgrave were discussing on their latest Paul Heyman show. And if something I agree with, I think of all the... Uh, indie promotions now i mean i think ring of honor had a little bit of that kind of in the 0405 time with punk and samoa joe and yeah maybe even to the ccw feud a little bit but that's that's really lost now i mean i, th- I think the ring of honor product now is if it's right there in your direct area and you know about it, you may check it out or you may not. I, d- I don't think that's a destination promotion for many people now. Uh, but, but yeah, I would say consistently since ECW to card now in the past, uh, I mean, really since about 2006, 2007, has kind of had this following uh, with them. So, All right. So shall we, uh, shall we get on to these matches then? Uh? Uh, well, one Trent, thing we well we quickly could talk about. Uh, I know uh, lately there's been a lot of uh, in the past day or so we've had some soap opera talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw. That. Yeah, I um. Now I'll be honest. I'd never heard of any of these U.S. daytime soaps, um, yeah. and I thought that, like in my mind, when you say U.S. soap, uh, I'm thinking that Dallas Dynasty. Right, right, right. Um, and I and w- so when I said on the board the UK soap and the US soap are different beasts, what I had in mind was um, that US soaps tend to be kind of aspirational. They're like people who are wealthy, right at the top of the food chain. So if you think of Dallas, Dallas and Dynasty, they're all rich people, right? Um, and if you look at UK soaps, it's 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 really people who are right at the bottom of the food chain. You know, they're they're working class. They they have you know, they work on like a market stall, they're blue collar, you know, so that's what I had in mind. But then, but then I was introduced uh, to the concept of these daytime soaps, uh, which uh, I've seen on the board today, Chad, that you're quite the, quite the fan of. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, my, uh, my mom watched all the ABC daytime soaps, which was uh, all my children and one life to live and uh, the main one was general hospital which when she was uh, uh my my mom was a homemaker for uh probably the first 12 years of my life so she was home during the day and during that time when she graduated high school uh, till when i was born and that was when general hospital was really uh was really pumping it was at the top of the ratings uh, probably the biggest 
I guess, soap opera event in the U.S. part was the Luke and Laura wedding. So that happened uh, during this time. My brother's actually uh, named after a character that was on. Uh, I, th- I think it was One Life to Live. I'm not positive. But then uh, when I started dating my wife uh, back in 2005 now, I learned that she watched uh, Days of Our Lives. And, and I think that Days of Our Lives and The Young and the Restless seem to be kind of the two soaps now that, uh, that I guess, younger skew sort of towards a younger demographic. Uh, and my wife's mom watches Days of Our Lives. But, yeah, my wife, she uh, DVRs Days of Our Lives every day while she's uh, working. She's a school teacher, so during the school season, she's uh, watching DVR in it and watching it at night. Uh, and then during the summer, obviously, she can watch it while she's at home. But, uh, but yeah, I've become pretty well-versed in, uh, in the culture of Days of Our Lives, which is really pretty close to wrestling fandom in a lot of ways. There's uh, message boards devoted to it, theories, uh and it's, it's pretty amazing that they literally do have, you know, 250 new shows a year. Like on Christmas Day, they're airing a new uh, Days of Our Lives show, which is kind of bizarre. One of the things I couldn't believe when I was, because we, we have a show here in this country called the Coronation Street, right? Which has been running since like 1960. It's got eight, it's had 8,000 episodes. <laughs> um, and I was thinking like, has anybody ever seen all 8,000 of those, like, it take you literally half a year of watching from start to finish just to watch all that there has been. But then I see, then I saw some of those uh, shows that you've been mentioning have had, like, 15,000 episodes and have been running since, like, the 50s. So I'm, um, do you know anybody who's uh, seen, like, every single one? Do you think these people exist? I mean, (laughs) mean, I'm sure there's some out there. I mean, I know... I mean, my mom probably did not watch every episode of All My Children, which uh, I'm looking at it now. It ran from January 5th, 1970 to September 23rd, 2011. Uh, So there was 10,712 episodes. I would say of those, she definitely watched 8,000 of them. Wow. I I would think without a doubt she watched 8,000 of the 10,000. I mean, because when it was canceled, I know it was canceled and One Life to Live was canceled, uh, I think, the year after. And uh, and she was absolutely distraught. She, in fact, still has the last, like, week saved on on their DVR. She just can't bring herself to erase it. Because, uh, I mean, you're talking about, I I guess, 40 years of uh, history here. It was. It, I I was saying I'm really surprised at those uh, companies. I, I mean, I know uh, one of the guys on the board said, you know, it, it, the viewership was declining and blah blah mm-hmm. blah. But I mean, if you've got two million hardcore fans or whatever, like surely there's a there's a reason to keep those shows on, or, or are they are they just not making money anymore? Is that the is that what it comes down to? Yeah, I think just having to produce. A new show every day with all the production. Uh, I mean, it's certainly a lot cheaper, and they were able to receive about the same amount ratings-wise to put. Uh, I know now ABC and one of the spots has got a cooking show called The Chew. So I mean, that's that's four personalities that they're probably not paying 
you know, millions of dollars to, but paying decent money to, but it's only four personalities and they cook for an hour. Uh, so that's a pretty, uh, I'm, that's a lot easier show to produce. And I don't think the ratings have been that drastically different. So, right. Well, speaking of TV, why don't we transition, uh, to, to looking at our TV matches from the ACs here? Um, I, uh, I, just before we get into all of these matches, Chad, um, I thought, uh, it, it may be useful for, uh, listeners unfamiliar to NWA or Crockett TV, just to go through what they actually had um, on at, at the time. So, from what I've been able to glean, and bear in mind I'm sitting here thousands of miles away <laughs> near London, uh, trying to work out what was on um, <laughs> TV in the Atlanta region in, uh, in the mid-80s. Um, but from what I've been able to work out, um, Crockett had two main TV slots on syndication um, from the early 80s. Uh, in fact, from the 70s. These are the two shows they always had. The old Mid-Atlantic show, um, which was known as Mid-Atlantic and later became NWA Pro. That was their kind of one of their flagship shows. And the other one was called Worldwide. Um, now, for our listeners who... Uh, are not from the the USA. Uh, could you explain what syndication is? Because uh, I'm pretty sure none of our UK listeners will have any idea what that means. <laughs> okay, basically, syndication means that uh, I mean, I mean, in a lot of ways, this the uh, R-rate show now with Sinclair programming is kind of syndicated. But you have one show that's taped uh, in in one area and for one region and then it basically gets shopped around and bought by a lot of different uh tv studios so like the local affiliate uh like the local abc affiliate for atlanta which is wsb channel 2 might buy the uh let's say they'll hypothetically buy worldwide which they wouldn't obviously it'd be on turner but let's just use that as a hypothetical they would buy worldwide and want to air it uh sunday morning at 10 o'clock then another uh the affiliate in charlotte might want to buy it and air it saturday at nine o'clock so it's not a set uh, you know, like you have your primetime television every Tuesday night at right. this time. This program will be on this specific channel. It's not that. It's it could. It's just basically check your local listings. This was at a time when that was a very important uh, important thing was to check your local listings to see when stuff came on. And just give us an idea of how big these kind of local stations would be that um, would be carrying worldwide, say, how, I mean, is it just going out to Atlanta or all of Georgia, say, or, I mean, how big is the, is the regional station? A lot of it depends on the scope. Uh, I mean, it it can be very, it's, it's kind of very odd because uh, honestly, part like when we went on our honeymoon uh, to the Dominican Republic, they had TV and had English channels, and the ABC channel they carried was the Atlanta ABC channel. It was WSB TV, so we were able to watch the local news 
for Atlanta <laughs> in Punta Cana, Dominican Republic. Why are people in the Dominican Republic concerned about what happens in uh, I, Well, in I mean, I guess they wanted to watch... I mean, I, they had, like, I can't remember where the CBS and, like, Fox affiliate was from, but it was another town, you know, like Miami or Jacksonville or something. But, uh, but I mean, for the for the WSB Atlanta channel and most of the Atlanta channels, they go, uh, they're, they're not even really statewide because I know in Macon and in Savannah, they have their own affiliates. Uh, so the, I mean, really the metro, mostly the metro Atlanta areas. When you get into more rural states, like I'm thinking, I mean, I don't know, maybe somebody can help us out. Uh, Brick Hit House would probably be a good one for this. Like in Can, I think he lives in Kansas. Right. So in Kansas, with a not with a ton of uh, huge metropolitan areas, I wonder if they only have kind of one. Uh, affiliate that's sort of statewide or if like Topeka would have a local news affiliate that'd be something interesting to know uh, Atlanta has a I mean Georgia has a few and uh, like even uh, Alabama has Birmingham and Montgomery so it has a couple right so um, at this point so in the in the early 80s then we've, we've got worldwide and you've got mid-Atlantic then, uh, as wrestling historians, uh, anyone who knows their wrestling history will know, after the whole Black Saturday debacle in 1984, Crockett uh, was able to buy the Georgia Championship Wrestling Territory from, uh, uh, it was a Jim bon- Bonnet at that time. Uh, they, they, they were able to buy uh, Georgia, and with Georgia, of course, came the big TBS slot. Uh, that was the thing that Vince would. Vince wasn't actually trying to buy Georgia. He was trying to buy the TV slot. Uh, obviously, we know it went terribly wrong. Um, and then Crockett was able to buy Georgia. They merged uh, the territory together, um, and they inherited the uh, that kind of peak time uh, slot on WTBS, um, which was known at that time as World Championship Wrestling. That was the name of the Georgia show, and they basically inherited it with the same set the same kind of um the same credits as far as i can see uh and it's that's the show that comes from the techwood uh studios that you'll have you'll have seen you know with the flags in the background um and i'm, I'm pretty sure i uh, that the georgia shows look exactly like that is that right chad <laughs> yeah that's that's correct um and uh, the Tech Techwood Studios, as we'll discuss, I'm sure today is uh, kind of a great venue. Yeah. So uh, then, so after about 1985, um, they have these three big shows. Um, uh, Mid Atlantic becomes NWA Pro, and I think gets kind of shunted down a little bit uh, in the in importance. Uh, WCW is mainly studio based. It comes out of that Techwood Studios, um, but carries a lot of big matches made just for tv um and worldwide uh, typically comes from their arena tour um and but as far as i can tell they're all pretty important shows on which um flair would wrestle for example so it's not like one of these was you know your sunday night heat or something right yeah yeah it's certainly yeah uh, i mean even i guess even in wwl land at this time you still had some developments uh 
kind of between superstars and challenge. There wasn't, I guess, a clear uh, A show between them. It seems like more once uh, when WWE, uh, really when the brand split happened, like even as late as, well, I mean, I guess in the late 90s when you did have like Sunday Night Heat and uh, Velocity and Shotgun Saturday Night and stuff, you really kind of saw the, the devaluing of the shows where there was a clear hierarchy. Yeah, so, I mean, what is the significance of um, a show being carried? So, WCW, World Championship Wrestling, went out on um, TBS as opposed to syndication, which the other two shows were on. What was the, what was the significance of that in terms of eyeballs? Uh, does that mean, like, somebody sitting in New York could suddenly pick up NWA TV? Well, yeah, yeah I mean, TBS at the uh, in the 80s, we got cable at my house uh, probably like 91, 92. So, luckily, it was right before uh, USA started showing um, Raw. But, you know, at, the, at that time, uh, TBS was not... It's I mean, you had your big four channels, but TBS was one of the other kind of main channels where we were able to pick that up on a tuner with just mm-hmm. our antenna. I think I think a, a lot of areas were trying to. This, of course, is it's it's kind of a hazy period for me because as a kid, I can't really remember, you know, living in a time. It's right. I'm almost right at the brink of when uh, most people my age had uh, cable growing up or even satellite but uh but tbs was a big uh, station i mean i know watching the mid-south stuff that i've watched in 86 and 87 he's talking about uh they talk about every week new affiliates that they picked up in the areas like uh in arkansas and louisiana and uh, missouri or whatever but tbs would have been a uh if you, if you had cable in the 80s, you should have had uh, TBS, WTBS. So, so, I mean, is there any possibility, I guess what I'm asking is, is there any possibility that the syndicated shows would have reached more people than the TBS show? Or the TBS show is, is W World Championship Wrestling is going to be the one that reaches the most homes? I, w- I would think the TBS show would reach probably the most eyeballs. But, again, I would probably would want to put the caveat there that I'd need to defer to somebody that understood. I mean, I don't know exactly how many people could get TBS. I mean, again, since my geographical area, we were able to pick it up on the antenna. I don't, I would guess that was not the case for anybody like in New York. Right. Well, I guess this is one for the listeners then. If you were older than like two years old in 1986, (laughs) unlike me and Chad here, um, and you would, and you actually lived in the United States. Uh, I'm thinking someone like Brian, maybe, or or Brick Hithouse, one one of these guys. Um, what what you know? Could you pick up the syndicated show, or could you pick up the the TBS? You know, which of the two shows did you uh, watch, or did you watch both of them? I mean, I guess that I guess that's my question. Yeah, uh, I, I I'm just wondering if there were more people who could get World Championship Wrestling than could get worldwide or not. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually, I mean, I'm curious whether you could pick up uh, WTBS without having a cable box, too. Like, if you lived outside of the metro Atlanta area, 
Yeah, that it would have been a paid for thing. You'd have to pay. Well, a you'd have to. Yeah, I mean, like, like you'd have to bought the cable package that would have gotten, you know, like ESPN and CNN at that time, and TBS would have been included with that. Because, like I said, we only. I mean, I I remember as a kid when we got cable. Uh, it. I mean, I was like five years old, and uh, so that was about 1991. Because where we live originally my first house they wouldn't run the cable it was in two of a, a rural area where we lived so uh they wouldn't like the cable companies didn't find it productive to actually run cable to our house so i remember when we were able to get cable and i was able to watch espn and nickelodeon and all these channels uh for the first time right um okay well uh that's the kind of background on most, I mean, most of these shows, uh, most of these matches that we're going to be looking at, um, especially before uh, 1988. Um, so that most of the matches we're going to look at today are going to come from one of those three shows, either Mid-Atlantic slash Pro, um, Worldwide, or uh, W uh, World Championship Wrestling. Um so it must have been, it must have been an exciting time to be a fan of uh, that you could pick up so much uh, so many different wrestling shows. Um, all right, shall we uh, shall we get into match one then? Um, right. uh, so the first match, it's for the NWA title. Uh, the champion at that point, of course, uh, in 1983, uh, is Harley Race, and uh, he's taking on the challenger, Ric Flair. Now, of course, Flair had already been the champ once uh, for for about two years, from '81 to '83. Um, but then he dropped it in the summer of '83. Uh, he dropped it back to race, um, and this match took place late in August in 1983, uh, and it was on uh, the old uh, Mid Atlantic show. Um, now, before we get into this, uh, Chad, here's a thought for you. <laughs> What, what what if Harley Race wasn't around at that point? Oh man! <laughs> if not Race, who? <laughs> that's yeah. a that's that's a joke. Sorry. If, uh, uh, so, um, what did you make of this one? Ric Flair versus Harley Race. Uh, I guess this is um, this is a a match in the in the run up to to Starcade. Yeah, this seemed like kind of I guess in a lot of ways the main uh, main match to build to Starcade. Uh, and, and again, I, I'd like to apologize to our listeners because one thing I'll say with this footage is, uh, you know, we watched for this show, we watched 16 matches, but the matches are all, uh, relatively long with a couple of exceptions and they involve a lot of the same individuals. Hmm. And it, you kind of, I mean, it's kind of, I watched this match uh, just because I can't sit for 10 hours and watch this stuff during the week. So, like, this was our first match we started with. So, I watched this match almost a week ago. Yeah. So, it's, it's it's a little hazy even now with all the stuff we've watched since then. But I, but I did take notes, and I did, uh, I did like this match quite a bit. I mean, I definitely like this match better than the uh, Starcade match. And race and flair are kind of a, a, a pairing that sometimes I've sort of been disappointed by. I, I did like their match in Japan. That was on the All Japan set, but I, I do think this may be my favorite, 
my favorite match between the two. And I, th- I think one of the main reasons for that was actually race. Race is somebody that has a lot of good offense. And in this match, he really utilized his headbutts. I yeah. thought his headbutts <laughs> were uh, absolutely vicious uh, throughout this match. And he kind of used his headbutt throughout the match as an equalizer. Like anytime he was sort of in a uh, defensive position or on the ropes a little bit, I know there was one time where uh, Flair hit a suplex, a butterfly suplex, and he locked him in the Boston crowd, which I thought was weird. I couldn't remember Flair uh, doing like a full Boston crowd that much, where he had both legs uh, clenched. Yeah. But uh, then Race was able to get out and hit the headbutt, and uh, the the finish I thought was very good, where uh, Flair had the figure four locked on, looked like he was about to secure the victory. Then we get uh, Dick Slater coming in, and uh, Bob Orton, which Bob Orton uh, initially sort of acted like, I guess, that he was going to help Flair, but ended up uh, turning on him. And they give a assisted spike pile driver to Flair, which really sets the gears in motion for Starcade and the whole bounty angle that would uh, precede it. But I, I like this match a good bit. And I, I did want to mention that around that. I don't know if you can remember that Race's laugh during that, <laughs> during that post-match stuff is incredible. Yeah. He just kind of does a super villain laugh. And maybe yeah, this, was, <laughs> yeah, maybe, this was really good Race here. Uh, yeah, well, one of one of our criticisms of Starcade, if you can remember that far back, um, was well, one of my criticisms was that Race seemed like a guy who didn't, he wasn't that interested in, or like he seemed a bit half kind of. He either he seemed like a guy who knew he was going to lose the title, and yeah. like for such a big match, he doesn't seem to be putting in tremendous amount of effort. But this, he was really on here. I'd agree with you. Um, I got a couple of notes uh, myself. Um, I, I like the fact that they built up to the pile driver as a big move in the first five minutes mm-hmm. there. They, they teased it, but it didn't come off. But you, you knew that it was going to be a big thing. Uh, a nice bit of foreshadowing there for what turned up uh, later on. Um, I, I liked it when... Uh, um, I mean, Flair took over and he kind of slowed things down, took things to the mat a little bit. And um, he he worked the arm in quite a focused way. Um, it all culminated with a with a sleeper hold. I noticed the ring is that was really clacky. You notice that? It's like, kind of like uh, you could really hear those ropes whenever they they go in for an Irish whip. Um, so I don't know. Like maybe they needed to tighten up those ropes a little bit. Um, yeah, the ropes made an awful noise. Uh, like every time they'd go into them, they made this very grating kind of sound. Um, one thing, I mean, I did enjoy Race's headbutts, but his, um, his belly flop headbutt move, I don't know what, how you'd call it, um, where he, he's basically, st- uh, say the opponent is down and, um, Race kind of goes for that kind of standing belly flop headbutt. I, I think that's a really weird move. Like it seldom looks logical to me. Like it's just a, it's not, it's not something that you'd think of doing to hurt somebody. Do you know what I mean? Oh, I, I like that one. Uh, if, if he gets contact, I think it looks nasty. I mean, maybe from a logic standpoint, it's not the smartest thing in the world to do. But, uh, but th- this was probably the best I've seen his head, but offense look 
with uh, with Ray. But he, he did some other variations of the headbutt here as well, where he was kind of like rutting like a bull at one point. <laughs> did you see that? Where he was almost yeah. like headbutting a, a flare with the top of his head. It looked uh, yeah. that looked nasty too. Um, uh, what, what else have we got here? Um, yeah, no, I thought this would. So one of the things I've done, Chad, for this, and I I don't know if you want to uh, join me or not. Um, is that I've given these matches star ratings because I couldn't find um, Meltzer's, uh, Meltzer's star ratings anywhere. Um, and I don't know, this is another thing the listeners may be able to help us out with, but I was having a look at some of the old uh, observers and he didn't seem to give star ratings around this time, especially like pre-AE6. Um, so a lot of these matches, he's just kind of lists what happens and he doesn't give a rating. Um, and so I went for this one, Chad, Three and a half. Oh, I'd I'd be a little bit higher, actually. Oh right, uh, okay. Yeah, I'd I'd you can put me down for four. I would I, I really thought this was a great match, uh, right at the great level, and and a great predecessor to what they were trying to build at Starcade. I mean, it's it's almost a shame to see a match like this and to think that they couldn't have tightened it up uh, with maybe like an eighteen minute super intense cage match with Konitsky out of the way. Uh, <laughs> right. it, it sort of made me hope for what could have been with that match. Now, you do have to remember, Chad, that even though you and I are down on that match, it is typically given five stars, that Starcade match. Well, so. yeah, I mean, some people... I, I do think that match is very... Uh, I, I, I mean, I don't think the five-star... Anybody that watches that match now would give it five stars. I think that was just a reaction to the magnitude of the moment then. Uh, but but I do know that uh, somebody that's on the Bigelow uh, 34 proboards.com board reviewed Starcade 83 recently. And uh, he, he typically is pretty tough on the ratings. Like he's only given, uh, he's went through a lot of the WWF pay-per-views. And he typically uh, is is pretty, pretty tough. Like he's only gave a couple of matches five stars, and he gave that match I think uh, around three and a half, maybe even four. I, I know he was a lot higher on it than both me and you were because I made a comment of it. And and uh, and, and and mean in it, I think it. I think a lot of it boils down to he sort of just forgave Konitsky and just kind of felt like it was an unfortunate occurrence in the match where I, I cannot get past the terrible officiating in that match. Like it detracts my enjoyment of that match. I don't think race is very good on his own in that match. But to me, the, uh, the officiating by Konitsky is what really grinds it to a halt. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that race is maybe twice as good in this match that we, that we watch for this show than he is in the Starcade show. Um, so, I, I, that, that's not even hyperbole for me. I, I just really think he had an off night there, uh, maybe. Um, the, the, the one other thing I'll mention about this uh, particular match before we uh, before we leave is that um, Bob Coddle was solo on commentary there, and I quite enjoyed him. So, that's a turn up for the books, because I've uh, consistently been down on Bob Coddle. So, there we are. Yeah, this was kind of right in his wheelhouse with Mid-Atlantic, so... He should have been very familiar with the uh, what was going on. So. Yeah, that that Mid Atlantic show did seem to be uh, Bob Coddle's show. It's like uh, he was always like the main host of that one, and that, yeah, he that, was. That carried on into the NWA Pro days as well. Right. So the second match we're going to look at 
couple of so we don't have anything from 1984. We're skipping right ahead now to May eleventh, uh, nineteen eighty-five. Uh, this is from Blackwood, New Jersey, uh, for the TV title uh, Tully Blanchard versus Don Canodal, um with David Crockett and Magnum TA on commentary. So, uh, were you uh, psyched going into this one? Bit our older hero Tully returning. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, the, I thought this was uh, again with our match listings. A lot of the matches seemed like uh, your usual suspects, so uh, it, it, we we really called for kind of the cream of the crop. So it was no surprise that uh, we got you know a lot of Tully, a lot of Flair, a lot of Garvin, uh, kind of the Wyndham, those people popping up in the matches that were recommended. But I was I was kind of interested in this match because it seemed like Tolly versus uh, maybe a lesser opponent. And uh, this was a, a neat venue. I, I really liked the venue and the look of this match, but I, I was not a big fan of this match. And the reason was uh, that it was a, a basic match where Kernertle just whipped Tolly's ass. Yeah. Like of 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 the uh, of the this match was probably what about twelve thirteen minutes maybe bell to bell, I, I would be surprised if Tully had two minutes of offense. Uh, uh, Kernerl was okay on top, but after a while it just felt like, uh, and, and and in some regards I can understand that because you did want to build up Kernerl as having a chance to defeat the champion, but but. To me, this sort of took that narrative too far because uh, by the end of the match, I was wondering how Tully ever survived, you know, any match and came out of it as champion because he everything he would do here, Kernertle would reverse it. Or uh, at one point, I, I have a note that Tully finally uh, take, took over on offense about nine minutes in and he did a great uh, shortcut move of pulling Kernertle's tights and then my next note, like a, a second later, is Kernertle firing back with punches and getting a running power slam. So it was very, very short spurts of totally on offense. And overall, that did not make me enjoy this match that much. I, I, I pretty much got the same uh, the same criticism. And um, it, it's telling that in my notes, I've written the word transition and then crossed it out twice. Because <laughs> I, like, I was expecting the match to transition at that point, and it just doesn't. Canodal stays on top. I I will say that he is on fire in this match, uh, and the crowd is right there with him. Um, and he gives us some neat, you know, he does a big vertical suplex. He does a neck breaker at one point. So I mean, you know, Canodal, um, from what we've seen of him, he's been in some good matches, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, I um I don't like it when uh, a match is too one-sided. Um, and if I do have a criticism of Tully, is that he maybe works underneath too much, like he, he takes it too far sometimes, um, because he gets nothing here. This is basically a squash match. Um, yeah, I mean, what happens at the end there? We do get a slingshot suplex from him, because um, Magnum TA uh, tries to make a save, um, and a baby doll uh, shoves Tommy Young out of the way. Um, Tommy Young sells it like he's been uh, bowled over by like a by a bodybuilder or something. I mean, yeah. baby, baby doll is pretty big at this point, I will say. Um, and then um, Magnum tries to make a slave and needs a slingshot suplex, and then Dusty comes out to save Magnum. 
So we get like a failed save. Yeah, it, it seemed like almost one of the first setups for uh, Magnum versus Tolly. Um, it kind of intensifying that, but uh, yeah, I mean, Kernel did do a King of the Mountain spot too, but uh, as, as we'll go on, this show, uh, I'd really forgotten with watching this TV how much the baby faces worked on top. Yeah, uh, that that is a big reoccurring theme throughout the matches tonight. But in most of the matches we'll discuss, even though the baby faces did have a lot of offense and a lot of control in the matches, I think they did a, a, enough little things to make it uh, whether it was on commentary. They pointed out like I know in one of the horseman tags, they point out that they'll take five shots just to get the right shot back in or some of their control segments and the damage they inflicted, I think it was a good balance to even it out. But here, it, it really did feel like a squash match right to the finish. So so I've got a few uh, little notes here, uh, superficial ones. Uh, I know the baby doll's wearing a nice uh, kind of leopard skin tights number that really brings out <laughs> brings out her uh, kind of massive legs here. Did you, did you see uh, baby doll's gear? Yeah, her uh, her whole outfit here was very bizarre, including the hairdo. I thought the hair was very uh, weird and was sort of like a, a, a spiked up blonde cut that was pretty short. Well, it was it was 1985, Chad. You've got to remember, you know, hair lacquer was a big thing. Though, hairspray, you know. <laughs> she kind of looked like steam. Um, the, the other thing I noted is, uh, and I was delighted to note, is that David Crockett is just an absolute loon on commentary yet again he's in that guy is nuts um uh which helped made this uh match more enjoyable for me we also got a cobra clutch at one point did you see that yes so yes that was a nice bit of continuity because clearly sergeant slaughter had taught him that move if you remember right yeah that did like i mean yeah i mean Colonel's offense was not terrible it's just if you were gonna have a 12 minute match i'd have liked it to have been seven minutes instead of ten and a half. So I went two and a half on this. Uh that's probably about where I'd be. Yeah, I have no problem with that. Alright. Okay. Um so far so good. Uh that one was from Worldwide. Uh we're sticking with Worldwide and we're gonna go to Shelby, <laughs> North Carolina. Um you ever been there? Shelby. I have not. No. <laughs> um, and it's a world title match. The world uh, champion, the world tag champions at this point, Ivan Koloff, um, uh, and Krusha Khrushchev. Well, the Russians, where they, they were kind of uh, defending them under a freebirds rule at this point. But uh, the people defending in this match were Koloff and Khrushchev, um, and they're taking on the Rock and Roll Express. Um, this uh, this is July the ninth, eighty five. Uh, on commentary, we've got Magnum TA and David Crockett again, but they're joined by Tony Schiavone. So, Chad, any, <laughs> um, what, what do you make of this one? This one, I'm interested to see your thoughts on this one because uh, this is a very long match. Um, and, yep. uh, it, I mean, it's about 35 minutes probably. Um and uh, I, I, I really like the early goings with the Rock and Roll Express kind of slipping out of the power moves of the Russians. Uh, you know, they definitely had the quickness advantage and they didn't want to get caught by the Russians. 
Uh, so I, I really love that psychology. And then pretty much the, they catch him and Crockett absolutely was, you talk about him being a loon in that last match. I think this may have been a, a peak, peak Crockett during this match because yep. literally every near fall, he was about to jump out of his seat, you know, look declaring. at it, look at yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember if it was this match. Uh, there's there's been a lot of David Crockett the past week. I can't remember if it was this match or the uh, or another one, but uh, I know it's in one of the matches where they're going to the break, and I may have <laughs> yeah. made a note, but but no, I uh, don't know. It's a, that's a different match, but I've got yeah, a note okay, on that as well. <laughs> okay, we'll wait on that. But it was, I mean, it Crockett was outstanding throughout this, and then the the three man booth, Magnum was really good on commentary here. But uh, but the the work with the rushes. I mean, Crockett. I mean, even though he is excitable, which I strangely still do not find it annoying. When I really think anybody else, I'd be like, well, somebody just punched this dude in the well, face. Well, he, he was hated by the smart fans at that time, you know. Yeah, which I can't really. I mean, I'm, he's so. I mean, to me, it's a contagious excitement. So I sort of don't get that. But uh, but he does bring up good points here like in this match he always talks about how like ivan's the captain and the veteran and kind of the crafty bruiser of the team yeah uh, to go through so they, they really attack uh the leg of gibson um in the early going and do a do a great control segment it must have been very i mean i'm sure it was very hot in the building because you can just see the sweat in this match pouring off these guys mm. uh so so that control segment on uh <clears throat> gibson lasts a very long time and then the uh, uh well first they actually worked over ricky for a little bit so that we did have double face in peril for this match but gibson yeah. was kind of the main control that they did uh, and at the end, Morton gets the hot tag. They get a sunflit slip, and uh, Ivan hurls Ricky Morton over uh, the top rope. Once Tommy Young, of course, gets knocked out because it's a match he's uh, officiating, and the the Russians are going after and targeting Robert Gibson again. And Morton is able to come from behind and get a victory roll uh, to to win the titles for the Rock and Roll Express. And this match, honestly, to me. Uh, and, and, and this is why I'm kind of interested to hear your thoughts, because to me, this match almost felt like the tag version to me of a Flair versus Steamboat. Ooh. Like if you if you want to look like a, a classic uh, NWA championship match that we saw between them, mm. I, I think this is the equivalent tag because I absolutely love this match. I, I'm, I'm positive this match will be in my top ten. Of the uh, of the best '80s matches that we've watched through the NWA, and I thought they were able to sustain a uh, interesting, great pace for the full uh, 35 minutes and deliver a classic. Well, uh, I, now uh, <laughs> um, I don't think I'm I'm I am definitely not as high on this as you are, um, and I, from uh, from a couple of comments you've made in the past couple of days on the board, uh, Chad. Um, I think there's another match coming up later on, which I'm higher on than you, uh, as compared with this one. So it's going to be quite interesting. Um, a couple of notes that I've got here is that um, one thing that you didn't mention was that this was the 50th anniversary of JCP, and they made quite a big deal of this at the start. So you had uh, Flair, Dusty, and Jim Crockett 
do a little um, promo at the start. Jim Crockett, his usual charismatic self. They made quite a big deal of the fact that they were defending the tag titles on TV. Um, can you imagine the tag titles being a big deal? On, on as a, <clears throat> can you imagine the idea of a tag title defense on TV being a big deal, Chad? <laughs> yeah, not um, not now. And actually, <laughs> uh, in the version of the match that I watched, I didn't get that. Uh, so right. I'm glad that I get that kind of background because yeah, the the version I watched, uh, it started pretty much right at the bell. They, uh, yeah, well, they made quite a big deal of this, and we got some big smoke effects for the rock and rolls as they came out. So oh. JC Plea were really splashing out here on this match, and they were treating nice. it like a big. I think the idea was is that they'd given the whole show over to this, to this match. You know, um, uh, Barry Darso is pretty massive in 1985, much bigger than he would be later on in his career. I think, like, he's a really stacked guy um, at that point. Uh, so this is really built up as a size versus speed battle. Um, I think we get some good psychology by the rock and rolls uh, working uh, Ivan's leg with flash pin attempts. It's all pretty logical stuff. Um, we get a lot of peril segments here. So obviously with Ivan in the match, you're always going to get a healing peril segment as well. So you get, uh, you know, first Morton, then Ivan, then Gibson. Um, you get some typical kind of Russians structure with Ivan consistently losing the advantage whenever he's, he's in for too long. Did you notice that, Chad? Like, uh, whenever the <laughs> he Russian... Did, he did. Yeah, but I, I did like that because to me it sort of uh, made him seem... The, the, the way they did it in this match, I thought it was kind of resourceful because as soon as uh, Gibson mainly would fire off a punch or something, Ivan would immediately tag back out, which I thought was very smart. Um. So I'm one of my um, the, the 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 face in peril segment on Gibson right w- was really effective. I thought the hope spots were agonizing, for example, and that's a good example of what you said. You know, classic kind of um, southern match structure. That's a that's a face in peril segment. I'd say that is really effective. You know, I, I was emotionally invested in his hope spots. Okay. Um, which is saying something, given I'm watching it, you know, 20 odd years later. Um, but my main problem with this match is that I'm not sure that the Russians' offense is dynamic enough to carry the long, long stretch sequence we get. Um, I'd go as far as to say that Khrushchev's offense is pretty boring when he's on top. I mean, Ivan is more fun uh, when he's there. So that was my main criticism for you know for a 15 minute face and peril segment which was effective i'll grant you i'm not sure if uh, khrushchev is doing you know anything anything that interesting during that time um then when the hot tag does come it's immediately cut short and we get this ref bump um but then we get the big upset win which does feel like a massive deal with the victory roll um, and I don't know if you noticed, but David Crockett's throat is almost totally gone by the end of the match. It's like he can't, he shouted so much that he can't speak anymore. Um, so my rating, uh, Chad, controversial, <laughs> three and three quarters I've gone. Yeah, I'd go, uh, I'd go a full star ahead of that. So you, you're saying four and three quarters for it? Four and three quarters. <laughs> I, I mean, I, honestly, uh, I've, I've watched this match before and really liked it. Uh, I'll probably, I'm, I'm probably going to watch it again just to make 
sure I'm not a, I mean I know it's a height match but I want to make sure I'm not on crazy town but to me uh it, I'd on the uh, on this rewatch I'd put it up there with like the the clash one tag the wow. the uh the the tag from uh one of my other favorite tags the Ricky Steamboat uh, Dustin Rhodes versus the Enforcers tag from the November 91 clash. This just felt like to me one of the most uh, kind of classically styled uh, epic. I mean, I thought this was an epic tag match too with the length of time it gave. It was, I mean, it's tough for me to enjoy a U.S. tag match that goes. Uh, extremely long like uh the men the rock and roll express and heavenly bodies had an iron man match on uh on the 94 yearbook and the work in that was good but just after an hour it felt like we'd seen you know everything that they could do played out for i mean you can only have such a long uh, face and peril segment Mm-hmm. So it felt like they had to rinse and repeat. And this, to me, for the length of time given, I thought did the most effective job of uh, everything kind of seeming fresh, even at the finish. Wow, well, that's high high praise indeed. Uh, maybe I need, maybe I'm the one who needs to watch it again. But I, I, I just had, I felt like we'd seen some better matches from the Rocket. Like, there's that 12 minute match, right? Um, between the Rock and Rolls and Arn and Tully, I think it's from this start. I think it's from Starcade '85. Is that right, or is it Starcade '86? Um, which I felt did everything that this match achieved in like half the time, <laughs> um, as a kind of uh, you know classic, uh, you know effective Southern tag match. Do you remember that? Am I it, that happened at Starcade, right? That match. Well, Starcade '86 is when they faced the uh, Andersons in the cage. Um, and all oh, right, Star- sorry, sorry. It's it's. I think it's um Arn and Oli, not Arn and Tully. It's the Andersons. Okay, yeah, it, that's uh, Starcade '86 in the cage. That's a great match too. But uh, yeah, I like this one a little bit. Actually, uh, at, at Starcade '85, it's uh, the Rock and Roll Express versus uh, Ivan and Nikita in the cage, right. and they defeat them. I think we like that match. Yeah, I mean, I, I I remember that match being very good as well. So. Okay. Um, well, uh, we we did, did, I I have a feeling that um, uh, more people will agree with you than agree with me on this one. That's my call. Um, I, I don't know. Yeah, but I I, I really like this one. Um, <laughs> next match then. Uh, in the interest of time, Ric Flair versus Nikita Koloff. This is at the Omni, um, and the date I've got is I think it's the eleventh of August '85. With uh, Shivani Solo. Um, this again, is, I think, is worldwide um, on commentary. Um, so, one of the posters said this is the by far the best Flair versus uh, Nikita match. Yeah, uh, I think that was Loss, actually. Was that Loss? Usually, yeah, who we usually are uh, pretty aligned with, but I don't think we <laughs> might be on this. <laughs> well, that's a safe, safe production where I'm concerned, but I'll let you go first. Um, I mean, I, Nick, this match I thought was okay. In the beginning, I kind of liked that, uh, again, sort of the contrast where uh, Flair would have to use sort of his wrestling ability and to not get uh, not to get called in the power moves. And he was, he was using it in an advantage of where when Nikita would go for strikes, he would 
get close enough and clinch him to where Nikita couldn't have any distance to strike him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I did like some of the psychology of this match and, uh, but, but it just felt like for a, a, I mean, this match probably went about 18 minutes long. It just felt like not a lot happened, yeah. uh, where Nikita was on top for a lot, but there was not a ton of focus on it. Then Flair got a, a flurry and rammed Nikita into the post, but, uh, Nikita reversed it and Flair went in and that, that kind of picked the match up, uh, a lot, um, Nikita at one point just straight powered out of a figure four. Uh, he missed the sickle, went to the floor, and Flair posted him now. And then uh, they kind of go back and forth, and that it, the match ends up breaking down into, I guess, a glorified brawl. And they both tumble over the top rope, and Flair's leg gets caught up in the uh, in the ropes, which was kind of nasty. And uh, it predictably goes to a double count out, which is kind of a cheap. I mean, it, it is the 80s, so you could expect that, but it felt like a a cheap kind of hollow finish. So these two are, are, are a couple of guys, again, that matched up a good bit. And uh, I, I, I mean, I thought this match might have been bordering around decent to good, but that's probably as far as I'd go with this match. I do like the Great American Bash match a little bit better, but I'm still not... Uh, very high on that match. So, honestly, of the stuff we've seen, maybe my favorite match between these two is the Starcade 86 match. So, this of uh, the Flair feuds, uh, which, again, as we go through this show, we'll discuss a lot of Flair feuds. This may be one of my least favorites, actually, versus Nikita. Um, yeah, well, I thought we got um, a lot of bear hugs from Nikita here. Um, yeah. A huge amount um, an odd amount of hip tosses by Flair. Now, how many times does Flair do hip tosses in normal matches? Never? <laughs> I, yeah, I'm, he I'm, usually gets it reversed. Right, now, I'm wondering whether <laughs> we see so many hip tosses in this match because that's all Nikita can do. Um, I think Nikita's really limited in what he can actually do here. I mean, he's obviously still quite young. Um, the analogy I'd make is like, He's what he's probably where um, I remember we were praising him for coming on a long way uh, by Starcade 86. Do you remember? Um, was it Starcade 86 or 85? 85. Uh, well, even Stark, I mean, I know by Starcade 86 is when we've had our favorite kind of Nikita stuff. Uh, the Starcade 86 that leads into the Crockett Cup 87 right. stuff. So I remember we said that he did develop a good bit. Uh, but I think he's still really kind of like limited at this point in his career. Um, he he does take a suplex from Flair at one point, and he does take that big bump to the floor after he misses the sickle that you mentioned. Um, but really, I I thought that this like if this match was going to be a good match, it would have to be a carry job by Flair. Um, he really laid into some of his little rabbit punches that he does. But in all honesty, I wasn't feeling this match at all. Um, and I much prefer, much prefer their Great American Bash match. Um, and I don't think I like that Starcade match too much either. 
from what I can remember. Yeah, I th- I, you definitely said that you thought the uh, Great American Bash match was the best of the three. Yeah, I, 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 I still think that. I still think the the Great American Bash match is the best. I went two stars on this. I, re- I wasn't into it at all. I'd, I'd probably be a little bit higher uh, just because of some of the psychology and the finish. Uh, the brawl before the finish was pretty good, but it's probably like two and a half for me. Okay. Yes, I, I was disappointed in that. Um, but then, you know, I, I've... Uh, I have never been Nikita's biggest fan. So, yeah, I mean yeah. that. Well, that seemed like I mean in a big stage like that on the Omni, um, it felt like a kind of uh, a big uh, a big kind of showcase for Nikita, and it didn't really feel like he delivered. Uh, let, let set up the next match. I'm actually going to look at that whole card because you know, as we discussed, some of those Omni shows at that time were very interesting. Yeah. So I wonder what was on that overall card, uh, which I can actually look at. I'm actually here now. It was, uh, they they were in the Omni a lot in 1985. And at this card, there's only a couple of matches listed. We've got Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry versus Buzz Sawyer and Manny Fernandez. And then Nikita Kolhoff uh, versus Rick Flair is the only two matches listed. Then he has another. He has another. Uh, uh, I'm looking at history at WWE.com. He has another show called Jim Crockett Computer Oceans, but it doesn't have a venue. But it's the same date, and I think it may be the same show because it's different matches. Uh, so it it we'll just assume it wasn't. It had a Magnum versus Tully match, uh, Rock and Roll Express versus the Russians rematch. Jimmy Valiant versus Barbarian in a dog collar match. Uh, so again, that's pretty five pretty big matches on top, and then a couple of undercard matches. Right. Well, th- those Omni shows, uh, like I, I, I wonder if um, they exist anywhere because some of them look very, very interesting to me. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, I don't think a lot of. Oh well, I mean, I, they did take this, so I don't know if they taped the whole show or. What, but yeah, would if there is some kind of hidden gems and that stuff, it'd be great if they could see the light of day. Well, uh, from the Omni, we, we're going to head to Greensboro um, with our old friend Tom Miller. <laughs> um, and uh, this is a, another worldwide match from 85. This is uh, December the 21st. Um, it's Ole and Arn Anderson with Ric Flair against Dusty Rhodes, Magnum TA, and uh, the Raging Bull, Manny Fernandez. Uh, commentators are Tony Schiavone and David Crockett. Um, and I did my, my note going into this match was, God, it's been a while since I watched Dusty. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, what did you make of this one? Um, this one was... Uh, I mean, I thought this one was fun, but it didn't really reach... Uh, it didn't really reach like a high level, but as far as everything that was coming out of Starcade 85 and heading into where they were going in 1986, I thought this was a nice, uh, nice kind of, I guess, appetizer. I thought Manny Fernandez to me was the standout as a fired up baby face. He was, uh, I thought really good kind of working the apron. And then when he'd come in with those fiery uh, back fists that he would give, like the back fist and forearms that he would give throughout this. 
And this was uh, this was the match where David Crockett did say the line about how the Horsemen will take twenty punches just to get the right punch in, which was <laughs> really good. Right as yeah. they went on, uh, they went on offense because again, this was another. Uh, this was a fairly short six man, and the Horsemen were reeling for most of the uh, most of the match. And then at the end, we. Uh, we we get a kind of a pier six and Magnum gets posted on the outside and he's not down and Arn gets a chair in and he absolutely slaughters uh, Manny Fernandez with a chair, uh, you know chair shots in the eighties. I was expecting kind of a, a you know a pretty delicate shot, but he absolutely killed him with his chair shot, uh, giving the horseman the pin at the same time. Dusty had the. Uh, Figure four on Oli. So, of course, Dusty thinks he's won, but the uh, horsemen end up escaping with the win. So, again, I thought this was fun, but probably not much more than that. Yeah, well, huh, I, um, I'm not sure about how you go about rating stuff like this. Um, I So, the crowd was wild, for one thing, which uh, always helps me uh, in my estimation of matches, uh, as you know. Um, I thought both Manny and Magnum were really good here in the shine sequences or in the shine sequence. Um, and I thought that, uh, we got some great kind of, uh, stoogy stuff from Arn, especially I thought Arn was really good in this match. Um, I, I've got the note here that I think the Magnum was really good, um, as a fired up, uh, baby face. And I've, I've already written here that he was way better than what we've seen in sting from sting in 1989. We can come back to that a bit later, that particular talking point. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was really impressed with him. Uh, I, I was greatly entertained by David Crockett, uh, who used the line, he waffled him, he waffled him, <laughs> which is uh, which is some uh, classic uh, David Crockett. Um, yeah, and my main note is that I think this is classic horseman, really fun six-man, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. So maybe a little bit carried away when I was writing these notes. I put three and three-quarters based on the fact that I enjoyed it a lot. But then, having said that, what else have I given three and three quarters? Um, did I give that on... Flair versus race. So, yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Like, how, how do you go about rating something that is short and fun? Um, well, there, <laughs> there's a match coming up pretty soon from February that's uh, a lot shorter than this. And... Uh, I th- my rating of it may be kind of telling now that I'm thinking about it because I, I kind of have an idea what I'm going to rate that match. Mm-hmm. And uh, you might think I'm crazy with it. But, uh, but I mean, to me, this was a very good... Um, I mean, this was this was a lot of fun. This was an entertaining TV match that would be very fun to watch on a, a, a Saturday. But with these six mans, the ones that I rank really highly throughout wrestling history sort of have a narrative or something that kind of goes back to it. Like, if you ask me to recall this match a couple of months from now, I don't know if I can remember that. Hmm. This match, which, I mean, I may remember that, you know, if I heard the teams, I might say, oh, yeah, wasn't Manny a lot of fun in that match, which Manny was, I thought, really yeah. good in this no, match. Was. But uh, but I don't I don't really think I'll be able to recall many of the transitions with this match because a lot of a lot of stuff they kind of did to me in this match felt a little non-consequential. 
Yeah, and we, we so, actually uh, missed the transition, of course, because we went to break. And when, when, by the time we come back from the break, the heels are on top, which is yeah. a bit annoying. It's always a bit yeah. annoying when we uh, miss the transition. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'd probably go like a three three to three and a quarter stars on something like that. Yeah, it's like a, definitely a good TV match, but, uh, you know. Okay, well, I may moderate that score down to like three and a half or something. But yeah. Well, uh, yeah. But I was I was excited, so. so uh, yeah. Well, I mean, the crowd. One thing that we just uh, we've we've mentioned the crowd a couple of times, but the crowd throughout these matches were absolutely ballistic for most of them. Yeah, uh, they were. I mean, some of the best crowds you'll see in wrestling history. Yeah, they were so behind the faces, weren't they? Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you're not, you're not. I mean, I know. In some regards, like in the Techwood studio and that small setting, uh, Flair gets some cheers, you know, as we'll see coming up next with our uh, with him versus Garvin when he gives his interview at the very end. He gets he gets some, you know, a smattering of applause. But uh, Mm -hmm. but certainly in the uh, in the arena stuff with the audio that we picked up, if he was getting cheered, he was definitely being drowned out by the people that were. Uh, feverishly for the baby faces. Oh, this is going to sound like a really uh, odd thing to say, but I think these crowds weren't big booers. They were great cheerers, <laughs> but they weren't big booers. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, you never hear uh, the horsemen get like massive, massive heel heat. Not like Rick Rude in '92 type heat, or you know the types of boos that um, you, you'd get for you know like a million dollar man or something. Yeah, it, it, I mean it, even. Even with the uh, heels on top, it's it's not necessarily them booing what the heels doing, but them chanting like the "Let's go," whatever the babyface name is. Yeah. So I can see that. No, but the, like that's what I'm saying. They're, they're big on cheering rather than big on booing. But you, you know, yeah, like uh, the Japanese fans are a bit like that as well. Big on big on cheering rather than booing, if that makes any sense. Right? I mean, yep. I, I never hear yep. those Japanese crowd boo either. Um, uh, it's, it's pretty rare, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, we're heading to Richmond now um, for Flair versus... Oh no, this can't be, uh, this can't be in Richmond. This is in Atlanta, surely, um, for World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. Um, have I got this right? Yeah. Oh, yeah which we uh, which order do you want to do, do these two matches in? Because um, I uh, watched Flair Garvin first, but I guess um, Ole and Magnum was, was first. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, it's it's. I'm pretty sure it's Magnum Ole first, and then Flair Garvin following it. Which um, I mean, what a what a episode of TV to kind of close out the year. Right. So, uh, World Championship Wrestling from the 29th of December, 1985, possibly one of the best hours of wrestling ever put out on TV. Um, yeah. Tony and David on commentary. We've got Ole Anderson versus Magnum TA. And, uh, well, I'll let, I, I've already got an idea of what you're going to say here, so uh, why don't you go for it? Yeah, we talked about this match uh, just sort of doing our prep throughout the week, but I, I watched this match once uh, and, I mean, really, really liked it. Then I talked to you and you told me that you were uh, a little bit, I mean, I don't I don't want to say down, but... Uh, huh. I, 
to me, I definitely preferred this match over Flair versus Garvin on first watch. So after I spoke to you, I watched this match again, and uh, I enjoyed it just as much, actually, because uh, I, I loved, uh, I, I think my favorite thing about Magnum versus Oli is, one, Oli, I know you were not ecstatic with Oli's performance, but I thought Oli, and I really tried to concentrate on Oli in my second watch, and Magnum's punches, first off, are great. Like, oh, fantastic. Magnum really fires off some of the best, you know, Jerry Lawler-esque, I may say, uh, punches in this match. But Oli working underneath, I thought, was some very great uh, underneath work where he – it really felt like with anybody else it might become sympathetic with uh, – he might become like a sympathetic figure with how much he's getting pounded down and he keeps fighting back and – you know, firing off of whatever he has, but uh, Oli does it with such like a, a, a like a facial expression that's so like a disgusted look on his face and viciousness that he doesn't get any sympathy, which I thought was very clever. And this match really felt like a, a ten round kind of thriller in Manila boxing match where both guys just kept waylaying on each other for about twenty minutes. Uh, it, this was one of kind of the most uh, boxing type matches that I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.A. misses a leg drop at, at one point. I loved his sale of the leg drop. It felt really good. And then they're both on their knees kind of punching each other and giving each other's headbutts, little elbows, uh, all types of stuff. David Crockett again has a great call in this match where uh, he uh, – are always able to to uh, get his legs under the rope and on the the rope on a pin attempt and uh, David proclaims he has the longest legs of anyone, which was a great call. Uh, and then they do a kind of a, a fun finish where it, it looks like there's going to be a time limit expire match, but Jim Crockett actually comes out and declares they must be a winner. So uh, it, it's almost WrestleMania 12S. They take a quick break, and then they come back, and uh, it's about a minute of action before T.A. is able to uh, hit hit the victory, get the victory while uh, Dusty and Arn are on the outside brawling. So I thought this was a cool finish and a great match overall. really like this one. Yeah, well, I, um, I wonder, you know, I watched Flair versus Garvin first. And I wonder if this is um, if this is uh, played into things in any way. Um, well, as you'll see, I'm pretty big on the Flair Garvin match, uh, but um, I've got some of the some similar notes to you here. It's a real slugfest. Um, Magnum's punches are just sensational. Ole really sells them well. I mean, for all the stick he gets for not selling, he's pretty good in this match um, at selling the, the punches. Um, the arm wrenches from uh, Magnum are really good. Um, I think Magnum's just a terrific fired-up face, and uh, the little studio crowd there are right behind him. Um, and uh, you know, considering there are only like 500 people there, they're, they're pretty noisy. <laughs> um, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if there's a hundred there. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a very small crowd. Yeah, well, there's only so much space in that little studio, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a small little area, so I, I actually think there's probably only about uh, 60, 70 people there. But they, they really make some noise. Um, yeah. And then uh, 
my, my, I've got a note here that I think that Ole's control segment in this match is a little bit lacking. I mean, his his elbow drops are pretty good, um, but I don't feel like he... I mean, I, he, I felt this match was better when Magnum was on top. Um, then the match goes back and forth quite a lot. Um, and then we get this accidental bell ring with Jim Crockett coming out. Um... And I thought when he did come out, I thought, "What well, is this like a Montreal <laughs> moment here with the owner?" But uh, no, it wasn't uh, anything like that. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that this match may be a bit structurally messy. <laughs> um, by, by which I mean, I'm not sure it had any structure. I mean, it was a slugfest, but um, yeah. I'm just thinking about what somebody, you know, a big structure guy like Matt D would make of this. <laughs> Is uh, what do you say to the charge that this match doesn't have any structure, Chad? Um, I mean, I would, I would actually, I mean, to me, the structure. I, w- I would say the match did have some sort of structure in the amount of desperation that it had. Like that's clearly kind of felt like to me they were going for a go for broke style. So with any with my wrestling, like on that Jakar I pay-per-view, my favorite match last week was a an a spot fest match. I mean all they did was spots. It was the colony versus just Devastation Incorporated. And that was fifteen minutes of crazy spots. And my opinion with that or a match like this, which is going for kind of a desperate slug on brawl is if you're going to do that to sell it to to make I mean if 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 you start the premise of this match as a a brawl which is what they did then I don't want 15 minutes in you you know locking on a chin lock or mm. you know doing an arm bar or head scissors and all this stuff because that doesn't go to the narrative of what you're doing so I think for this type of match, which what they were going for, they constantly remained intense in their action versus each other. Uh, the punches kept coming with reckless abandon, and I thought the match was uh, turned out pretty wonderfully. Right, well, I've gone three and a half. So. Yeah, I would go uh, probably four and a quarter for this match. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Four and a quarter. <laughs> well, um, ne- the next match, I think, it's the very next card on this night. What an amazing, uh, what an amazing show! Flair versus Garvin. Um, same date, same show. Right. Uh, now, as you'd expect, this is stiff as hell. Um, why didn't you? Uh, I, th- I think you can anticipate uh, what I'm going to say. But so, why don't you tell me what you made of this one? Yeah, I mean, well, I like this one a lot, too. Uh, this had a little more grappling uh, between it and was, co- I guess, sort of structured a little more kind of a, a, a match where you sort of had a little testing out period, but then uh, it broke down into the exchanges that Garvin and Flair generally have with each other. Uh, Flair actually offered a handshake at the beginning, and Garvin slapped him, which I thought was kind of odd, but... Uh, but the, I thought the head scissors that Garvin got very early was a, a very tightly locked in head scissors. That's typically yeah. a move where I'm not interested in. But uh, a, there was a match in 1994 between El Dandy and Javier Lanis that uh, 
had a great head scissors in it. And uh, this match kind of actually reminded me of that, where you really feel like Flair was sort of suffocating uh, in that. So we got some pretty good grappling. And then, of course, it breaks down. Flair goes out to the uh, outside of the ring and says he's going to kick Garvin's butt <laughs> at, at, uh, at one junction. And then uh, immediately after he said that, I don't know if you heard this, but someone from the crowd yelled that he couldn't do that from outside the ring which i thought was a great kind of interplay moment yeah um and and the, this match uh, there was there was definitely a lot of kind of back and forth i did like a few things though that flair brought in at one point he misdirected the referee which i thought was amazing where he uh he mentioned the tights to the referee so when the referee went back to look at the tights of garvin Flair gave him a punch right to the face, uh, which was just a great, great spot that I hadn't seen that. much. Yeah, that was amazing. It was right. He had him in a headlock, and he uh, he yells. Uh, I can't remember if it was Tommy Young or not, but he's like, check out those tights, referee. And the referee circles to the back, and then Flair punches him right in the face. And uh, we kind of had sort of a, a dusty well, not really a dusty. Well, it was a dusty finish because Dusty came out, but kind of a, a crap finish where uh, we get a, a series of pinfall reversals. Flair shoves the referee, and then Dusty comes out and puts the uh, figure four on Flair. Uh, the Andersons. This brings the Andersons back out. Uh, but this was kind of a cool moment where the horsemen were able to keep, were uh, able to keep uh, everyone at bay for a while because a lot of the jobbers and. Uh, Sam Houston came out to try to rescue Dusty, and it almost felt like Rocky they were trying. <laughs> yeah, that? Rocky King made an appearance. Uh, so they almost tried to break uh, Dusty's leg again, but eventually uh, they were able to scurry the horseman off right as the show ends. But yeah, this was a great match too. I like this one a lot. Yeah, well, um, now I think I've come to realize, and I, I'm going to admit it. This is just going to be a mission. I think I'm a mark for stiffness. Um, I really do. <laughs> um, I'm just thinking of all those All Japan matches I loved so much. I think the fact they're slapping the shit out of each other is one of the reasons why I love it so much. Um, and if you want to talk about slapping the shit out of each other, Flair versus Garvin is that, basically, um, for like 20 minutes straight, where they're just, you know, you know, reverse knife edge, and then Garvin's uh, chops are just nuts, you know, it, they're really, um, I think these two have got amazing chemistry. For Like, if you think about wrestlers who have great chemistry, I think that uh, these two are really up there in terms of, it's a different type of chemistry from something like Flair versus Steamboat. But it's like, they're so physical. They're so, the, the back and forths are captivating for me. You know, the, the, the way that they... Are able to have those uh, kind of chop suey moments. Uh, I I, yeah, I find myself I mean, prone I to think, get. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think like Flair at this time was facing Dusty, of course, around the horn, and and the the narrative of those matches was kind of the common man versus the aristocrat and Flair, but I really think like his contrast with Garvin works even better because uh, where Dusty can be you know kind of flamboyant and he's been known to jive and dance around a little bit garvin really feels like kind of a guy that just crawled out of a, a mine a coal yeah. mine you know and he's yeah. sort of he's so blue collar 
that him going against Flair and sort of putting him on the ropes, it almost, uh, I mean, I, I get sort of a, 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 like a lesser known, like Austin versus McMahon, you know, kind of yeah. the boss versus the subordinate, sort of that type of emotion mm-hmm. riles up watching these two go at it. So I, I really, like, I think this is one of the most underrated feuds oh, in yeah. wrestling. Like, I think it's a shame that Garvin... I mean, to me, Gar- like anybody that likes, like most people, their favorite guy in TNA right now is James Storm, the cowboy James Storm. You know, if you want to look at James Storm like what he's doing, you need to look at what Ronnie Garvin was doing back in this point in time because it is like James Storm times five or whatever. I mean, it is amazing. We, we can talk about, um, I think we've got another match coming up later on where we can talk about Garvin in general and you know, his world title run and stuff um, and how he's perceived by history. Cause he's one guy who is, I'd say wrong by the historical perception of him. Um, massively. So, I mean, if there's one guy who uh, has risen in my estimation more than anyone else, it's Garvin. And he's, he is uh, absolutely amazing at this point, I would say for like a rugged physical, uh, like, yeah, he could, he could easily crawl out of a mine or, uh, you know, he could. You could picture him as like a docker or something, couldn't you? You know, like a yes. like a teamster. Um, yeah. No, he's a yeah. He's very. Um, I'm I'm watching The Wire at the moment, Chad, and I'm uh, I've reached season two where they're on the docks there. Yeah, yeah. Garvin wouldn't be out of place in that. No. Kind yeah. of thing. Um, it, there's a few cool uh, other little things that happen in this match. Um, now I'm not a big mat work guy, as you know, but I think the mat work sequence at the start of this match is just terrific. Really, really good. Uh, uh, that heads as a sequence for, from Garvin, and some of the counter wrestling as well, which is something that you maybe wouldn't expect from these two. Um, you get the uh, at one point, Flair gets out of a sleeper by using a shin breaker, which is very uh, cool. I thought um, as a sleeper escapes go, a shin breaker is a pretty nice way to do it. There's just so much hatred and intensity. Um, uh, at one moment, Flair just kind of snaps and he says, "God damn you!" Did you uh, see that bit where he? It's like it, it's like they really hate each other, you know. Where yeah. where he's he's actually it, it felt like. Have you ever been in like an actual fight, like in school or something, where two people really hate each other and they're kind of going at it and it's personal and there's something of of that of something of like a real fight. Um, yeah, there's there's a kind of. A... So, sometimes there's moments in fights where you know people say you just see red. Yeah. I mean, there you kind of get a couple of those moments here where you just feel like they're just not even thinking about it. They're just you know throwing whatever they have at the other one. Yeah, I mean, there's what I mean. Uh, David says on commentary that Garvin looks possessed at one point because he's so angry, and he really like he does. He's he is seeing red, like you said. Um, and then uh, what happens? Uh, Garvin's facials when Flair um, plants him uh, balls first on the ropes were absolutely tremendous. That made me laugh a little bit because um, he, uh, you know, that spot where they plant them on the ropes and um, and then we got a pretty disappointing finish with the uh, with the dusty interference, etc. But to be expected, I guess. So as you may be able to tell, I just absolutely love this match. I love it. I could watch um, everything about it. Not only it, not only the the, the two guys, but uh, David on commentary, the Techwood studio setting, it's just absolutely awesome stuff. This is right in my uh, wheelhouse, as it were. So I've gone four and a half 
which is a pretty high rating. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I would definitely go four stars for this. Um, I mean, just to me, it's one step behind Magnum and Oli, uh, but, but I mean, right there with it, I think these two back-to-back are, again, I mean, two four-star matches to me in an hour, so a great, great episode of TV. I find it really hard to believe anybody could uh, could rate the uh, Olay Magnum over this because I just think that this match is amazing. But I guess you know that's the whole point of having these discussions, right? We disagree sometimes. Right. <laughs> I mean, it, for me, the only thing stopping this being like a five star match is the, is the finish. I, I've taken like half a star out for disappointing ending. Um, so it's on the cusp of being a classic for me. Um, and I think when we come to do the rankings, it's going to be right up there for me. So, interesting. The, the next match then, uh, if, uh, if you weren't worn out already, and I will say, uh, Chad, that I, I had to watch this over, over like a 10-day period, basically. I, I couldn't watch all of these matches in a row. Um, it was just not only the length, but the intensity. It was too much, you know. Um, yeah, and- yeah, I, I mean, kind of, I watched those two matches back to back, and I, uh, I that was it for that day, because yeah. both of those matches are very physical, intense, uh, kind of, uh, actually pretty like draining in scope just because of the physicality of them. So, so there's more Garvin and Flair now. It's uh, Dusty Rhodes and Ron Garvin against Flair and Arn. Uh, this is from Worldwide, February '86, February the twenty-second. Um, I don't, this is, of all the matches we looked at, this is, um, I've got less than a quarter of a page notes on this one, so this might be a quickie. Um, yeah, well, I don't know, I mean, this is a quickie, uh, this is definitely, like, I don't know, I should have timed this, because I don't know if this went over five minutes, if it did, it was not very far over five minutes, but there was a thread, I think on Def Valley Driver, uh, started a couple months ago where you were asked for your uh, favorite kind of sub 10 minute matches and a lot of people had some good suggestions and I, if this was a sub five minute match I think it's right there in contention for certainly one of my favorite sub five minute matches and probably in contention for one of my favorite sub 10 minute matches because I really liked what they did here uh, it was worked you know it's worked at a sprint I actually had a uh a note on the crowd in this one because they were loony in this match. Absolutely then. And wild. Then, yeah, this this may have actually been the most uh, wild the crowd was, which is saying something. Uh, I did like Dusty uh, fall out of the corner against both Flair and Arn and then gave a, uh, <laughs> a kiss to Baby Doll, which was a great kind of adding salt to the wounds moment. And... Uh, and then you had a couple of good revenge spots, too, in this match where Dusty posted Flair's leg, which kind of played into them breaking his leg. Uh, Arn locked in a body scissors on Dusty uh, as the crowd chanted for Dusty. And then uh, he actually locked the body scissors on Garvin, and the crowd was chanting for the tag to Dusty. Ron uh, Garvin made He's the hot tag to Dusty, and him and Flair have a good kind of back and forth one for them to... Uh, Again, I kind of throw them in the Nikita feud-wise, where it's not one of my favorite Flair uh, feuds, but I thought they sort of had some good interaction in this match. Dusty was able to hit the big Larry at lock on the figure four, but Arn broke it up immediately. 
but then as the referee is uh, throwing Arn out of the ring, Garvin hits a huge knockout punch to Flair. Flair took a great, I mean, absolute amazing bump off that punch where he looked like he was legitimately knocked out, and Dusty pins him in just over six minutes, and they embrace on the apron, Dusty and Ron do, and embrace with Baby Doll on the outside, and the crowd goes absolutely livid. So I thought this was an excellent moment. Wow, Flair actually pinned. A Flair pinned right in the middle of the ring in uh, you know, just over five minutes. Right, yeah. Um, so... Yeah, I, I didn't. I, I really don't have a lot of uh, notes for this. And um, listening to you uh, call that there, um, it actually occurred to me that quite for a for a match that only goes about five minutes, quite a lot happens. Um, we did get a hell of a lot of flare flops here um, in a in a very short amount of time. He he maybe flops four or five times during this uh, during this time. I all I'm going to say is that I thought this was a fun little match. Um, so I've got, so I didn't really know how to go about rating. It's, it's difficult. Like, what do you do when, when the match is really short? Um, so I've gone two and a half, uh, but I could be talked up to a three. Uh, Yeah. See, this was one I was talking about earlier with like rating because I, I have no problem, uh, rating this match at, uh, at least three and a half. I'll put it there now. But I, I could almost see this one flirting with four stars because, I mean, with what they were trying to accomplish, I thought they accomplished it majestically here. Uh, I mean, it, it was a, uh, a very, very effective match. And, again, I, I think that bump Flair takes is off the uh, punch of Garvin. It's one of the best bumps he takes. And just that whole sequence. Like, I watched that sequence about ten times of where – Garvin knocks him out. Uh, Flair goes flying down. Dusty pins him and then gets up and starts jumping around, you know, holding his head because he can't believe it. And him and Garvin embrace. So it's it's a very satisfying moment seeing this. And the crowd is going, of course, uh, ballistic. So you, You've persuaded me to watch it again, which I will do before the award <laughs> show. Because uh, it sounds like there's a hell of a lot of little things I missed there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's something that could ever, uh, you know, rank on what we're going to be doing, where we rank, you know, the top, top, top 20 matches or whatever. But for a five-minute match, which I'm looking at it now, and uh, they on the – actually, this is a match, too, that Link uh, – that Loss had to link us to. Uh, so I don't know how well-known this match is, and that seems kind of surprising to me considering that Flair gets – you know, Flair, you know, with his championships, a lot of his championship losses is off roll-ups and off, uh, I mean, they're conclusive finishes, but it's mostly kind of a roll-up or a sunset flip or, you yeah. know, you had the cross-face chicken wing where he, he gets a pinfall off of that. So to see him get knocked out and pinned, you know, very conclusively in this match, one, two, three felt like a rare occurrence, especially at this yeah. point in time. No, I, I was genuinely shocked to see that. I mean, yeah. of course, he is pinned sometimes with the dusty finishes as well. But, right. Um, but usually there's some there's something like I think Luger gets a pin on him, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, he, no. 
Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's times where he gets pinned and then it gets reversed, but even in a lot of those instances, it's mostly kind of off a roll-up or something. His shoulders are pinned to the mat, kind of in a submission or something like that. Yeah, a, a little bit shocking. And uh, I wonder if that's... Uh, obviously, it was effective. I wonder if that's um, a dusty ego booking there. I mean, we, we're right in the thick of a dusty road, of, the, of the dusty feud at this point, right? Well, yeah, I mean, we were, but to me, I mean, Dusty does get the pin, but it's off of Garvin's punch. So I, yeah, th- I think true. that kind of that gives some justification to Garvin. That, uh, and it really he's, puts he's, over the hands of Stone, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one, th- one thing about the history with Garvin and Flair, which we can talk about in their cage matches, I, I mean, of all the guys, it really feels like Garvin, in some regards, has Flair's number yeah. more than most. So. No, that's true. That's true. It, it feels like he's a real, not just a match for him, but that Flair hasn't figured out a strategy to deal with him as well. Right. Um, so, national title now. <laughs> uh, this is in Greensboro. Uh, March, no, uh, May the 3rd, um, worldwide. Yeah. Uh, one thing I'll say um, is that, you know, uh, in this country, we put the dates the other way around. So where you, oh, where okay. you put 050386, um, we would put 030586. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, it's taken me a hell of a long time to get my head to retrain myself to see the, the month first. Um, so <laughs> if I slip up on any of these, it's because I've spent my entire life uh, doing it the other way around. So uh, there we go. But I, I, I'm for wrestling. My rule is for wrestling, I'll do it the American way. Uh, oh, in Japan, they do it the other way, or they do it the same way you do, too. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's something that takes some, like, usually if it's, like, the 21st or something, it's obvious, but when, when it's like this, when it's 05, 03, um, I'm thinking that's March, right. not May. So, right. <laughs> anyway, this is Tony, David, and Dusty on commentary, um, uh, and coming off that last match, I was pumped for this, um, so, naturally, I was a little bit disappointed. But I'll, what did you make of this one? Okay, now this this was one I'm interested to hear what you'd say too because I know this match is is extremely hyped. Yeah, like this is this is one that I can see and uh, in, in the '80s. I, I mean, when they do the '80s uh, NWA stuff, I don't know if anybody will put this at number one, but I can definitely see this one having some top five hype. Yeah, uh, and I—I I mean, I like this match a lot, but I, I didn't—I I was honestly a little disappointed in it too. And I'd seen this match before, um, and and this match was a lot of action, but again, it was kind of tough for me to uh, to get, I guess, a sense of sort of what the overall story they were going for. And that's why I would have something like Magnum versus Tully ahead of this. Mm-hmm. And uh, Garvin versus Flair ahead of this because I was able to get the uh, narrative here. I mean, they had a, a, a ready-made story with uh, Garvin's hand, and that he wasn't able to use his hand, uh, or yeah. he he kept kind of doing like a prisoner's dilemma bit with his hand, which was very good. But uh, I mean, Tully did utilize the hand sometimes at one point like jj hit the shoe on top of ron garvin's hand and i thought that was going to uh, lead into you know kind of a very good sympathetic performance uh with Tully on top a lot but 
yeah, Garvin came back relatively quick and uh, was able to turn the tide. So the match was all action. I mean, this was 30 minutes of uh, of a lot of action. And mm-hmm. the way it locked up, I was very excited because they had like a crazy intense lockup for like a minute and a half at the very beginning of this match. But, but uh, uh, it honestly sort of petered out for me and then it didn't have a very good finish to boot so uh where uh you kind of have a yeah. confusing finish where uh jj i guess is given quarters to tolly uh at the same time does he gets up from commentary and tapes ron's hand uh and ron knocks, knocks tolly out yeah. hits the pinfall they think he's the champion but uh tommy young ends up reversing it which is kind of annoying so yeah, well, uh, I was, like, really disappointed in this match. I, I, I probably even more than you, Chad. Um, firstly, I think the same criticism that we had of the other Tully match applies to this one, where he just works almost completely underneath again. Um, I don't like, like, I've ne- it, it, it's been a criticism of a lot of the earlier AWA matches. I do not like matches where um, the face is dominant for the whole match. And... Um, even though Tully does have some offensive segments here, it always feels like he can't hold on to them for long. Um, which which has the effect of making it feel like Tully's really weak again, which I don't like. Um, I, I know this is part of Tully's kind of MO, is part of the way that he works, um, but I like to see a little bit more... How can I put it? I, li- I like to see a, a decent heel stretch sequence so that by the end of the match, you feel like the there's been some genuine struggle there. Um, even if the even if the heel has to cheat to get that stretch sequence, um, you know, I still I still need to see one there. And and here I I felt that like Tully could only get like one or two moves going before Garvin was giving him like a knee or a chop or something. So that 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 is one problem I have with it. Another problem, and I guess this is coming right off the back of the Flair Garvin match, is that Garvin worked weirdly technical style for 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 him, um, and unlike the early mat work in the last match, I thought that the mat work here wasn't particularly focused or compelling, and that takes up the first 10 to 15 minutes of the match. Um, then, oddly, Dylan Shue is used as a transition move. Um, and, and at that point, and this is literally 16, 17 minutes into the match, Tully starts targeting the hand. Now, my question is, why didn't he start doing that a lot sooner? Like, the whole idea of Tully and of JJ is that they do their homework, they suss out the opponent. Um, so why doesn't he target the hand from the very start? I mean, does he? I, I, I didn't see him do it before this moment. Yeah, I mean, mostly up to that, it was Garvin, you know, not being able to punch with the hand. So any consequence was from Garvin kind of deliberating with himself on whether to use the hand or not. So for this match to really take off at this point, I'd expect a good five, six minutes of uh, Tully decimating Garvin's hand. But that doesn't happen. Um, So instead, we get another long Garvin control segment. Um, which culminates in the Garvin stomp, <laughs> the Garvin stomp. Um, and then uh, I, I will say that during that second kind of control segment from Garvin, he does give Tully quite a lot of cool uh, suplexes. Um, 
and then we get a ref bump and we go into this whole finish. So after being dominant for the whole match, Garvin then gets a clean pin, um, and on top of that we get a dusty finish. <laughs> so the highlight of this match for me was what happens then, because David Crockett is outside the ring and he's going fucking nuts at this point. Um, he even, I think, <laughs> at, I, at one point, I'm sure off mic, he says this is bullshit, and he starts like arguing with Tommy Young, which I thought was absolutely awesome. He he was. Did you see that? He was going ballistic outside. Yeah, the he, he he definitely uh, he kept yelling. He was like, "What about the quarters?" <laughs> he was he was not pleased. Um, so th- this may shock some, but I've gone three stars for this. I really wasn't impressed with it. Yeah, I'd go a little bit higher just because I mean it was thirty minutes of all action and did have some uh, some definitely some good stuff in there. I mean, I'd go three and a half, but again, I I do think that's low for what most would say because I know this has been uh, been hyped up as like the best TV match of the eighties, and I, I mean I know I I know I liked it a lot better the last time I watched it, so it may be again something that of course when we. Uh, when they do have the 80s set, I'll rewatch again yeah. and uh, appreciate. But yeah, this time, I mean, I do think watching it in the spectrum with all these other matches kind of hindered it because it felt like some of the things that other matches did so well, they didn't do as well here. I, I think that really, I mean, I guess it suffered for me because it's coming off the back of Flair Garvin and I love that match so much. And Garvin does work that this match in a more technical, less kind of intense manner. Um, mm-hmm. so, may, so maybe it's like I was going in with a certain set of expectations that it didn't meet. Um, but yeah, I, I guess um, yeah, I, 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 we have been talking about context recently and how it changes the way you view things. Um, so, but yeah, I was disappointed because as well, like Tully's a guy that we we've been so high on as well. So I was expecting a lot. Um, next match. This is the Omni. This is uh, from the Omni, and I think um, this is from uh, NWA Pro. Seventeenth. Yes, yeah, from Pro. Seventeenth of March, eighty-six. Um, and I think. Uh, I is think it March it, or May? I thought it was May. Uh, May, May. Sorry, yeah. Seventeenth <laughs> yeah, okay. of May. Um, Coddle and Weaver on commentary. Um, Johnny Weaver, of course, uh, a staple of that show as well. Um, and uh, I think it was. Uh, Brick Hithouse, or, so, or somebody was explaining to me, I think it was Brick Hithouse, was explaining that the original idea uh, was that they're going to use a pro um, for like these longer TV matches um, around this time. I, I may have got that wrong because there's another show called Main Event as well that they that they haven't debuted yet. But I think the idea was that they were going to use certain shows for longer longer matches. Um, so, uh, this is as part of the um, kind of Morton face injury angle, where uh, he, he got his nose broken. Um, is that right? He, he, he's definitely got his face injured uh, as this match is started. Yeah, this, this should have been... Uh, I, I would assume this was right after the uh, cement incident, where they rub his face in the cement. Uh, so, this was a very kind of intense feud. It actually looks like the date of the physical show at the Omni was May 11th, uh, 1986, which actually included a uh, Garvin versus Tolly tape fits match. So, again, please, hopefully somewhere there's video footage of this stuff. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, this one, this one was, uh, you know, Morton comes out with the bandages, so he's very sympathetic. And uh, 
We get. I don't have a ton of notes on this because it's uh, only about ten minutes of action, but it's all action. It's very good stuff. Uh, we get uh, Flair using some leverage for the pinfalls as they go to break, and then they come back with uh, Morton having the figure four on Flair. So again, we kind of missed a transition there. And uh, but uh, but I really like the work in this, especially when Flair starts going after Morton's face. Like yeah. I thought that, like in the last couple minutes of this match, were very nasty. Like it sort of reminded me of uh, Flair going after Luger's leg in that Starcade '88 mm. match, where he just gets vicious with the face. He grinds it on the mat. He rips the bandages off, fish hooks him, uh, rubbing it against the top rope. It's just. Very, uh, very intense stuff. And, and then, and when he's ripping uh, that tape off as well, when he's ripping the tape off his face, yeah. that looks nasty as well. Yeah, I mean, he he just he did look really incensed in this, and then uh, and then the match just the they go off the air so, <laughs> right as this happens. So very uh, strange match, and I guess they never did show the finish, or I don't I don't quite understand what happened here. But I mean, the action we saw was very good. But I mean to me it's kind of a shame that these two it was great that the uh, wwe did release that uh match between them on that four horsemen set so we did get one complete match between them but i do think it's a shame that these two never had uh i guess a 25 minute techwood studio uh signature match because i think that could have been something special because i really liked what we saw here there just wasn't a ton of it before it ended abruptly yeah, and just to clarify, the reason that we're not covering that particular Flair Morton match, um, it's a it's a cage match, right? Is yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Uh, is because it's not a TV match. Didn't didn't air on TV, right? That's a right. that's a that's a no. There's no commentary on that match from what I can remember. Yeah, so, right. but uh, do you want to uh, consider that in your in our overall ratings? I guess we should. Yeah, I mean, we might could uh, we might could. Uh, I mean, I would probably need to rewatch that again, but our next set of matches is a little shorter, so we might throw that in. Yeah, I, I remember that. Kind of a match. bonus match. Yeah. Yes, yeah, right. so we might throw that in next time and just uh, include that in our consideration. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay. Um, I, I did love what we saw here. Um, I love it when Flair's like a real bully, you know, um, and that stuff on the face, he really is kind of uh, bullying Morton. Uh, and I, I do like it when Flair gets into that little psycho mode there. Um, we do. I, it, it was also quite nice to see Morton get so much offense during this match as well. Um, so I've given it three and a half for what we saw. Um, yeah, I actually would agree with that. So, um, and I'm sure that if that match had continued, uh, if we'd been able to see the end, it would have got higher than that. So, nice, n- nice ten minute teaser i guess mm-hmm. um so uh moving on then because uh, i think there's going to be quite a bit to talk about with this match world tag titles rock and roll express uh the champions they're taking on rick rude and manny fernandez this is from world championship wrestling um on the 6th of december 86 is that right no the uh, no the 12th, uh, 12th of yeah. june 86 <laughs> No, 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 no! Oh. It's December. It's December. No, no. All right, sorry. The sixth of December, eighty-six, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I only actually had December nineteen eighty-six, but it's definitely December. Yes, it's the sixth of December, eighty-six. Okay. Uh, okay. And 
I've just noted here that between Rude, Paul Jones, and um, the Bull, there's a hell of a lot of tash going on <laughs> yeah. on the heel side here. Um, yeah, I mean, this one, uh, like, like uh, I mean, first note I have is that Manny's forehead. They give a close-up of it. And it, that is a sick-looking forehead. I mean, you could tell he had definitely bled a lot in his life. Um, this this match, again, is uh, – I, th- I thought it was very good, but I, I do think this match actually kind of, for me, was uh, a little bit hindered by the fact of the Russian match that we saw earlier mm. because this is another match that goes uh, very long, uh, but whereas in this uh, in that match I never got bored, even though I kind of agree that uh, Khrushchev's offense I didn't think was fantastic or nothing. Uh, here we get a very long arm bar, and this is actually something I talked about on the uh, PWO board today. Yep. But we get we get a very long arm bar here. Uh, there are moments where I thought Rude looked very good, but there's also moments where he does look kind of green. So, uh, and, and there was a ton of breaks in this match too. It seemed like there was more breaks in this match than, uh, most of the ones we've seen where if they did take a break, it felt like we came back and generally the same spot, uh, here they took a, a northern amount of breaks. Uh, so again, it's a good match. We did get, uh, some good face and peril stuff, but it did get a little long and, uh, and Ricky was facing peril forever. He finally gets the hot tag to uh, to Robert, and uh, Paul Jones is able to distract the ref, and uh, Rippy, Ricky is able to hit a drop kick that lands on his injured arm, and then uh, they uh, Manny's able to deliver, or Rude delivers. A, it was kind of a cool finish. It's sort of tough to describe, but basically uh, Morton had, uh, or Robert had Manny rolled up, in a position and rude delivers this clothesline and Manny was able to basically roll through and reverse it. And, uh, he was on top and got the pinfall. Uh, so we had new tag team champions. And my only other note in this is that we have been very tough on, uh, on, um, Paul Jones. We have not liked Paul Jones. Correct. But I will give him some credit because in this match, he did do one thing that I very loved. And it was right as uh, David Crockett was going to commercial. Paul Jones ran over to where they announced. He grabbed the mic and he said to not go to commercial because Ricky Morton was about to give up. Which (laughs) I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, Just as sort of a subtle move. But... Yeah, I mean, I thought this match was was uh, again, it's it's good, but I, I I mean, very good, but I certainly didn't think it was as good as the Russians' match. Right. So. Well, uh, this is where we have some disagreement, uh, Chad. And I, I was I was interested when I read uh, your your post on the board about this as well, because um, I've got some quite uh, unusually detailed notes for me on this match. Um, uh, so obviously things start off uh, where we get. Um, a very fast pace for such a long match it starts off with a very fast pace uh obviously for the rock and roll shine sequence and that shine sequence takes the first 10 minutes of the match okay um and then robert gibson is our first facing power uh facing peril if you remember um and they target his leg now i will i will say one thing about rick rude 
is that he is one guy of all the workers um, who, who people like. He is one guy who can sit in a rest hold. And I don't think that ever changes through his career. Even like peak Rick Rude, even like 92 Rick Rude, he is a guy who can sit in a rest hold. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly likes a chin lock and stuff like that every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so I felt like a lot of the mat work in this second um, second kind of segment of the match when Gibson was the face in peril, a lot of the kind of work they were doing on his leg there was there to eat up time and for little other reason. I, I, I felt like the the leg work was a, was a rest hold, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, we do get an awesome backdrop by Gibson on Rude at one point. Did you see that? Where uh, his legs kind of land on the rope. Um, yeah. I thought that was quite cool. Then when we do get the hot tag, David Crockett goes absolutely crazy. And he's openly cheering uh, Ricky. He's like saying, come on, Ricky. Um, he's he's such a, a nutter. That I, I do love David Crockett. Um, we, then we get another face in peril sequ- uh, sequence on... Uh, Morton, where they focus on his arm. Uh, so I did like how we moved from the leg focus in the first uh, face and peril segment to the arm focus here. Um, and I, I did think, uh, and this is where I'm interested, because you, you've basically got the opposite note here. I thought that the, uh, the second face and peril segment had more kind of heated, focused work on the, on the leg here, uh, with where Rude was kind of giving those clubbing blows on the arm and the shoulder, um, and, uh, yeah, I, I just thought the arm work was more interesting than the, than the leg work, I guess. Um, I didn't really notice this, uh, I, I say I didn't know, I didn't, it didn't occur to me. I wasn't bored by the arm bar. I was more bored by the leg stuff on Gibson. Um, but that, but I've got a note here breaking down the structure of this match. Roughly speaking, you've got 10 minutes of shine, 10 minutes of, uh, stuff on Gibson's leg and 10 minutes of stuff on Morton's arm. Um, so I think this is a really excellent kind of technically sound match that told quite a compelling story, and then with a title switch. Um, my, my one little criticism is that uh, more, uh, Manny and Rude pull that kind of gypsy switch uh, move a few times, you know, where um, where the... Yeah, yeah. Now, do moustaches work like masks? Is that the idea here? Is that the fact that both of these guys have big uh, tashes meant to fool the ref? Cause, yeah, um, that was a little stupid. I, that didn't make any sense. Um, so, I have gone four stars for this, losing some for the boring legwork in the second third, um, and for some of that kind of uh, switch stuff there, which I didn't understand. But yeah, I preferred this to the uh, Russians match, because I thought the heels were more dynamic on offense. Uh, now, I, now we're not going to be, it sounds like we're a lot farther apart than we're going to be on star ratings. Cause I would still give this match like three and three quarters probably. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely like the Russian match better. That's it. Well, that isn't that that's interesting. I, I'd be interested to do like a kind of micro micro microscope focus slash pole on those two matches. Um, because my, my honest feeling is that this was the this was the better match of those two, um, and it comes down to the quality of the heels uh, for me. Not so. I mean, I'd probably take Ivan over Rick Rude at this point, um, but I'd take either Rude or Manny over Crusher by by quite a way. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, did you really think the arm stuff was boring, Chad? Um, I mean, it certainly was focused. Like, I don't disagree with the fact that it was focused, but I just didn't, I didn't see, there just wasn't a whole lot. I mean, I thought it started out very promising, uh, but then after, like, it was really after one break where they still came, I know they came back from break and he was still in the arm bar. And, uh, and it was just like, please, can we just, I mean, at, at that <laughs> point I was like, we were, it's time to, you know, start something else here because it, it didn't look like they were really going for the finish at that one segment. It kind of felt like to me, they were just killing time. Whereas with Ivan and Crusher, I'd never got that sense in that match where even if there was a sense that, uh, they were in danger of losing the advantage, they would automatically tag out and stuff like that. So I, I do think it's a valid criticism of Rick Rude that he, um, when he's sitting in a, in what I'm calling a rest hole, but, but when he's sitting in a move like that, he doesn't do anything to make it more interesting. So it does feel like they're killing time. Um, and he, he even does a little bit of that in the in one of my favorite matches, the Iron Man from uh, Beach Blast with, with Steamboat. E- even some of the chin locks and stuff there feel like they're killing a little bit of time. So... Um, it, it is a valid criticism of him, I, I would say. Um, but then uh, some of the, like, not all of the arm work was club, you know, some of it was where they were where they were going in with uh, shots and strikes on the arm and uh, they were stomping on it. And, you know, it wasn't all just laying on the mat. So that's my <laughs> that's my brief defense of the of the arm segment. Um, OK, uh, but you were only a quarter of a star out. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I figured you'd be like four and a half on that, actually. Yeah, well, but. I mean, I don't really do star ratings very often. Um, but, like, when I do, you have to kind of stick to a certain standard. So four star is actually pretty high praise, you know. Right. Um, yeah. It's got, a, I'd say for me, that's got that's got a shot of uh, the back end of the top 20 for me. Oh, okay. Match. Okay. Um, yeah, if you consider like the first, the top five, the top six are all going to be five star matches that we all know about. Um, yeah, beyond that, it's kind of there's there's a lot of matches in that four 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 and a half star region to, to play right, with. Right, right. Um, so Ric Flair versus Barry Windham from Worldwide. This is uh 24th of January '87. Mm-hmm. This takes place in Fayetteville in uh. North Carolina. Yeah, Fayetteville, North Carolina, which I actually have been through there in passing. Nice town. Uh, I mean, it's a town. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dusty and Tony on uh, commentary. Um, and just going into this match, there was a guy sitting in the front row who had legs like tree trunks. Did you did you see that guy? He's a big guy. Uh, I did not notice him. <laughs> he's yeah, got, just look, look out for that guy because he's one. He's like he doesn't look that big but his legs are massive um so a classic encounter flair versus windham what do you reckon yeah i uh i one thing about uh we haven't there's been some good commentary throughout these matches uh as we marked out about david crockett uh, really, only Johnny Weaver's been the one that I haven't been impressed with, and and uh, I thought Dusty was very uh, magnificent in this match. This match again, it's <laughs> we're kind of we're 
sort of feels like we're repeating it ourselves. But this is again is another very long match. Uh, I, w- I would say this one is being uh, worked over more in kind of the classic uh, NWA style for a while. But then uh, Barry Windham takes that great bump where he goes uh, flying over the top rope and hits the guardrail on the outside. Yeah. And F- Flair, once again, is very vicious. Like, we get some signature Flair <laughs> on top with the attack with that. Um, uh, but Windham's able to fire back. Uh, so that there is, a, there is a lot of kind of back and forth with this match. But I, I did like it in the fact that there seemed to be sort of a constant ebb and flow uh, where it felt more desperation instead of sometimes these matches feel like, uh, uh, you know, the term's kind of your turn, my turn, where yeah. it feels like they're just doing a move to do a move here. It felt like an ebb and flow, and there's a desperation where uh, Wyndham, this kind of felt like Wyndham's big shot to win the title, so he was going to do everything he could to win it, and Flair was going to do everything he could to keep it. Uh, and then we kind of go to the finish where it goes to a time limit draw. And I thought they worked, uh, they worked well down to the time limit draw and actually timed the uh, near fall of the power slam with about 15 seconds left really well. Um, and of course the match ends in a time limit draw, which, uh, I guess was a 45, I don't know if it was TV time or 45 minutes, 45 minutes. yeah. Yeah. So we got, we got probably about 35 minutes of the 45 minutes from what we saw. Uh, and then I thought, I, I really like the end at the bit where, uh, Wyndham grabs the microphone and says, you know, he, he knows he's going to win that belt someday, but he's not going to leave with the belt like this. And he sort of throws the belt on uh flair's stomach. who's was laying on the mat. So I, I, I thought this was a great match. I enjoyed this a lot. Right. Well, um, I mean, one of the reasons that we're doing this process is, is, uh, I mean, we've mentioned it before that Barry Windham hasn't like, I guess we, he hasn't really been hitting the heights on the, on the big shows. Um, and a lot of his more talked about matches are TV matches, right? Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, I think with the big stuff with Barry Windham is it's not like his matches on the super cards have been bad per se. Like that match with Luger from Chi town rumble, I mean, yeah. that, we both thought that match was good, and there are people that think it's, like, a great match, which I disagree with. But, I mean, to me, like, yeah, we both thought that match was good, but if you look at Luger in 1989, he had, you know, pay-per-view matches with Pillman. He had pay-per-view matches with Steamboat that were better. So, a lot of times, I think, with Wyndham, with what we've seen so far, it, I mean, for somebody that maybe gets hyped up as one of the four or five best workers in the world... We're just not seeing it kind of in his uh, super card performances. Right. Well, I mean, um, I've got uh, a few notes on this. So I just said that Flair really cranks up the viciousness uh, in this match at different points, especially when they're outside. Um, we get that big bump from Barry where he seems to hit his head on the railing, which would look really nasty. Um, then... Uh, some of the shin breakers are really big here from Flair. Um, Flair gets the sleep on at one point, and Dusty tells us that he learned that from Johnny Weaver. Do you notice that? <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, we get some great back and forth stuff. Um, and uh, at, at one point in this match, Barry's face is just so sweaty. Like his eyes are glazed over, and 
he, like he really looks like somebody who's been through hell and back. Um, and he hits that big missile drop kick at uh, near the end. Um, right. So I, yeah, I thought this was really good match, but and this is going to sound odd, but a part of me thinks is this one of those things where you had to be there um, to really to really kind of think that this was um, like one of the best things you'd ever seen type thing because people talk about this match like it you know it's typically a five star match this right most people give it five stars well and and I I my it's definitely view, a hyped match. I would say that. Now, my view is that this is not on the level of Flair's matches with Steamboat or Funk, um, or of some of the other kind of bona fide five-star Ric Flair matches that we think of. Um, and I also, I mean, given that I did gave the Garvin match four and a half, I didn't enjoy this as much as I enjoyed that either. Um, so I've gone four and a quarter, which may seem a bit stingy, but I didn't okay, like. Yeah. I didn't like. I thought it was really good. Don't get me wrong. I just didn't think it was on that kind of top top level of match. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I think. I mean, I don't. I don't think. Um, I don't want to. I guess I don't want to delve down to. I mean, it, it, to me, it's tough comparing, like, the the best of the best matches. Like, I would definitely have this below, uh, for sure, the last two Flair Steamboat matches. I mean, I'd give this match probably four and a half. Right. But I, I, don't, I don't want that to be, like, a slight on this match, because for a TV match in 1987, it was great stuff. Um, no, right. But, I mean, yeah. it's, it, 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 see, one of the things I struggle with is that I sometimes think that we get too caught up on this idea of uh, greatest of all time, you know, Uh, or like too caught up on the idea of um, it's a phrase that will use it. Sometimes you don't need to tear, you don't need to uh, tear one thing down to build something else up. Right. Uh, But what, so when you're comparing things like, I don't want to feel like I want to do this match a disservice by saying it's not quite as good as some of the other matches. That's not me saying that I don't think this match is good. I'm just saying it's... I don't think it's on that level, um, is, is what I'm saying. Do, do you know what I mean, Chad? Yeah, but you clearly... Um, I would guess you like this better than their Crockett Cup match. Uh, yeah, I think I think so. I thought I thought this was... Um, I thought this, you know... It, it, it felt like a classic encounter, like I said. Um, yeah. And it doesn't have anything uh, bad in it, you know thought it was it was perfectly a uh, great match and but probably um it, you know it would be in contention for one of the best tv matches of 1987 i thought oh yeah yeah i, I can't see uh well yeah i mean there's a match coming up which <laughs> i guess is a tv match but uh well yeah it's definitely a great match so all, all right so um has that done anything to kind of make you think that Wyndham is, uh, you know, really good worker, etc.? Well, I, guess I mean, would... I, I did watch that unedited uh, Crockett Cup match after we watched the show, and I, I'd put this one at the level of that. I still think, actually, watching this one again, I need to watch the Battle of the Belts 2 match again from February of 86. 
because mm. I've always thought that was kind of their best match, and uh, I'd kind of have the uh, this match in the Crockett Cup around the four and a half star level, and I've always thought that one could be flirting with like five stars or four and three quarters. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, as we go along, I've actually sampled a couple of matches for our next show, and Wyndham uh, does have some very good TV performances. No, that Battle of the Belts match, that's uh, that's not technically a Crockett match, is it? No, that was like a Florida supercard promoted. So, uh, right, yeah. yeah. Out of contention for us. Yeah. Okay, I, I still need to watch the unedited version of the uh, Crockett Cup, though, because I, I watched it off the, off the tape, if you remember. Right. Um, and I, 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 I'll do that. I, I've got a little list of, uh, a little short list of things I need to rewatch before the awards. So, um. Next match, uh, U.S. titles on the line, Midnight Express versus uh, Barry Windham and Ron Garvin. Uh, this is from NWA Pro on the 21st of February, 87. Now, this is the match, Chad, that I think that we've got wrong here. Oh, I, okay. I think that the, the match, that, the, and I cannot find it listed on History of WWE, um, and I can't find it on the internet anywhere, Um and it's not, and because it's, there's no horseman involved, it's not on any. It's not on my big horseman set either. Um, the match that was recommended to us was meant to be the finals of um, a tournament for the U.S. titles. Whereas this match clearly has um, Wyndham and Garvin coming in as the champs. Um, I don't think this is the match that that we were directed to, personally. But uh, let's talk about it anyway. <laughs> what did you? Uh, what did you make of it? I mean, I, I like this. Uh, I mean, this match is actually another one I don't really have a ton to say on. I thought no. this was a, uh, I thought this was a good match, good TV match. Uh, Tony pointed out a different racket that Cornette was wearing before. Cornette, this was our first time seeing him, and he was really good on the apron. He's beside himself on every near fall, and was really uh, counting along and celebrating every time the uh, Midnight Express got in some good offense and uh bobby eaton too was a great bump freak in this match he gets hip tossed on the concrete floor at one point which was uh was very nasty uh but uh, i mean the match is a lot of kind of back and forth the uh the midnight express get a pretty good control segment but then the finish happens where uh cornette t- took out wyndham with the racket on the outside Oh, uh, he get he he gets back in. Oh, did you watch a different match? Well, did you have Condry or Lane in this match? I had Lane. <laughs> well, I had Dennis Condry. So oh, we did good, watch right. a so, different match. So you you watch? I think I think what it is, Chad. You watched the correct match. I watched the wrong one. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, I watched one uh, literally from February um, with Condry and Eaton. It, it ended with Cornette using a ball of flame. And uh, Jimmy Garvin, oh. Jimmy Garvin comes out and turns face at the end of it. I gave it two stars. Um, at the Midnight's win the U.S. titles. So, yeah, I, th- I think you'll like this one a little better. I mean, it's, it's good action. I mean, it's nothing that's going to be contending for my top list. But the one I watched, I would have no problem going like three and a four, three and a half. Right. And at the at the very end, uh, like a uh, Wyndham, he gets back in, but he throws Teddy Long, who's officiating, to the outside. And then Cornette accidentally hit Lane with the racket, which looked uh, a little contrived. And then uh, Wyndham 
is coming back and going after Cornette. So he gets a, he gets a sleeper on Cornette, but then Stain, uh, Lane is actually able to recover and uh, hits the chair. He get, grabs a chair and hits it on Garvin for the win. And when I was talking about chair shots earlier, uh, this was one of these uh, delicate Lance Storm-esque chair shots that Lane delivers. Not a very good chair shot at all. But uh, but it is a kind of frantic finish and a good celebration for uh, Cornette winning the gold here. I mean, they do celebrate it like it was a title win. That's why I was kind of confused. So, But, yeah, I mean, this was a good match. Okay, well, that's obviously one I got wrong there. But I, I, I thought, I mean, I thought when I was watching that this can't be the one that was... Uh... Because I had Cod- I had Coddle and Weaver on uh, commentary as well. So, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, when you mentioned Tony, I thought hmm, something's up. <laughs> All right, uh, well, we're almost we're on the finish line here. We're almost to the end now. Um, Ric Flair, and I mean literally, Chad, we watched about ten hours of wrestling for this show, right? Yeah, I mean we had sixteen matches. Most of them were, you know, thirty minutes plus segments wise. So yeah, I mean it, 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 definitely about seven eight hours. This is Flair versus Lex Luger, uh, called the Dream Team as they're coming in, uh, against uh, the Garvins, both Ron and Jimmy. Um, and this is a uh, World Championship Wrestling, um, 27th of June, 87, yeah. uh, in the Techwood Studios. Uh, more tasty, meaty Flair versus Garvin action in the Techwood Studios, Chad. Yeah, this was, uh, I mean, this, this again is another one I don't have a ton of notes on, but that's not to say I didn't enjoy the match. I like this, and I thought it really did set up uh, Flair versus both Garvins well for the rest of the year because he actually had, uh, you know, his feud with Jimmy Garvin during the Great American Bash mm. uh, right after this with that cage match that we both really liked. Um I mean, I guess probably my biggest takeaway from this match, uh, the action was all solid, but I thought Lex looked really good here. He did. And, uh, and I did like them. I uh, did like the Garvin's kind of targeting the arm so Lex couldn't get them in the rack. Uh, I thought that was a good pick bit of uh, psychology when they were on top. And uh, but, but Lex and Flair, I thought, made a very effective team. They would tag in and out together. Uh, the Garvin duo, for their part, seemed on the same page, too. Uh, the finish of this is uh, pretty interesting, too, uh, where Rick Flair goes after Precious, uh, and J.J. then takes Precious <laughs> up and is going to take her into the back, but is stopped by Dusty and Nikita. Uh, and then the horsemen essentially just say, enough of this, and start beat up, beating up the referee. So that that this may be probably... I don't know if this sort of the Flair Nikita match was my least favorite finish of the matches we watched. This one was pretty bad because right after that spot, uh, you just literally had Flair punching the referee to cause the DQ. Uh, oh, so that's that what was happened. kind of a crap finish. I was trying to understand what happened because we get a hand of stone and a brain buster, and then the bell yeah. rose. I didn't really understand. And then the match finishes. I was like, what happened? Yes, I think this was Scrappy McGowan. And yeah, right after Nikita and Dusty chase uh, JJ all Flair and Luger in the ring and they just punch the referee. So so I, I don't understand that because they're not champions of anything. So why why do that? Right. It's, um, I, mean, I, I mean, this was good stuff, but again, I didn't have a ton, you know, not much more to add. I just thought this was a good chapter in the feud, but not anything groundbreaking new besides, I guess, Lex looking really good. I did enjoy it when uh, 
when JJ Dillon was trying to kidnap Precious and um, David Crockett was shouting, she's fighting like a wildcat. Yeah. <laughs> um, and because I, I, I believe that he would call like a feisty woman a wildcat. I just right. believe Absolutely. that. That's... <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so uh, my, my, I did think there was like a little semi botch from Luger when he tried to do that leapfrog at one point. Did you see that? Yes, yes. There was a kind of a, uh, you did, that's right. We did have a, uh, a little miscommunication there. I think he was with, uh, was he was with Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. He, yeah, so they, they sort of had to re- regroup there. So that was the, uh, the worst uh, section in this match. Um, when it was Flair versus Garvin, this almost turned into like a singles match at times. Um, there was a quite a long segment where the two guys on the apron just weren't into it, weren't in it at all, and they were outside and they were chopping back and forth, and all of that stuff is like funded, like just good, you know. Whenever you get Flair and Garvin in the ring together, it's good. Um, but yeah, three stars for me. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I'd have no problem going three stars there too. I mean, definitely a good match, but I guess by this point in time, well, after we'd watched, it was sort of. I I mean, for me, it was a little easy to kind of glaze over, you know. Yeah. I, I should say that three stars is not bad, you know. Yeah, three stars I mean, is that's, a good what, match, that's you know? not something I want to slide. I mean, even I would say probably the worst match of these sixteen that we watched was either the Canertle Tully. Or the uh, or the the uh, Nikita Flair match, and uh, I mean with both of those, I'd be around like two and a half. So I, I mean, th- it, those would be the only two matches that I wouldn't necessarily call good of the stuff we watched. I mean, this was a good match. Yeah, it just uh, didn't reach any high levels. So, Rock and Roll Express yet again taking on on Tully, World Championship Wrestling. 19th of September 1987, we're at the uh, Dorton Arena in Raleigh, um, and I believe this is a no DQ match. Is that right? I couldn't. I I think this is a no DQ match. Cause they, mm, I cause, don't know. Because they made a, they made a big deal of throwing them over the top rope and not getting a DQ. Oh, okay. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, yeah. I hope it is because I did have a note on that that I was. Uh... Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty I sure. I was confused about. And we get Tony Solio on commentary. Um, right, another classic uh, kind of uh, combination here: the Rock and Roll Express taking on Arn and Tully. So yeah, we hadn't, we hadn't seen much of Arn and Tully together, so this was nice to see them in the TV match. Mm. Um, I, I mean, I thought this was very good. Uh, it did, did seem a little kind of greatest hit-ish, I guess, with these two, but that's that's certainly no not because uh, what we got from these guys were very good. Uh, we did, uh, I did not like that they took a break in this match right after a hope spot from yeah. uh, Rob, and then we returned with Ricky pounding on Orange, so we missed the hot tag. Which I, I thought was very disappointing, uh, but but uh, I mean it started out pretty basic, and eventually this match gets more uh, more intense as we go along. And then uh, I'm glad you did mention that because to me Ricky in this match was very uh, I guess intense because he uh, he throws uh, was it Arn or Tully over the top rope? He, he throws him right over the top rope in plain sight of the ref. And then he ends up shoving Tommy young at some time, uh, and sometimes too. 
uh, J.J. Shu comes into play again uh, at the end of this match um, where Ricky did shove Tommy Young, but it was just like kind of a pie face shove. So I didn't really like the finish of this match again because uh, Ricky sort of gave a pie face shove to Tommy Young and Tommy Young went flying like he got punched or something and had his back to all the action, which didn't make a lot of sense to me given the the uh, blunt force of the blow that he got from Ricky Morton. But uh, in the midst of that, while he's out, J.J. tosses Tolia's shoe and, uh, and they get the pin. But here comes uh, Earl Hebner flying down to reset the match. Uh, so they do the reset. And they basically just brawl to the back, but it was it was a pretty intense brawl. So I did not think the finish was as bad because they were kind of brawling out of control through the crowd. Uh, so I, I didn't have a terrible problem with that match, but this match again was good to very good, but not you know not excellent. I didn't think. Well, uh, I uh, I was pretty high on this uh, because I think that. Um, it's pretty much as good as any other tag match that we saw here, um, which is very good. Um, we get... I like the way that the Rock and Rolls are established as tag specialists early on in this. You know, they, they're tagging in and out. They, they cut the ring in half. Um, all of those things you'd associate with uh, kind of heel teams, I guess. You know, the, the way that they cut off this uh, ring. But it did, you know, it got them over as a very effective tag team. Um, all of that segment culminates in the double figure four. Um, and the transition is when we, uh, when Gibson goes 360 over the top rope, which is a pretty nasty uh, bump. Did you see that one? When he went. Yes. Um, and then uh, Arn. So <laughs> what I liked about Arn in this match is that he was openly cheating, uh, playing really dirty all the way through the match. Um, <laughs> and I, I think he was using that. I think he was openly using that tag rope because it was no DQ. It wouldn't make sense otherwise, because the, the ref would have spotted that, right? Well, I mean, the ref was chastising them too, so I, I don't know. I mean, it it it, it seemed kind of off, but maybe it was no DQ. That would help explain a lot, because I did have a problem with that spot. But um, we got some, a nice uh, double suplex from Arn and Tully at one point. Um, Gibson is facing peril, so we get a weird thing where Gibson's are facing peril. Then we get a little a little segment with uh, Morton in, and then. Uh, they tag Gibson back in, uh, right. and they're they're saying that he's not, you know, he's not really fresh enough to go to go back in at that point. Um, uh, he takes a spine buster as we go into a break, and then the shoe gets out. Um, I think that well, I've gone four stars on this. Okay, I'd I'd be a little lower, probably in the three and a half range. Uh, yeah. On this one, but yeah, I mean, again, very good, very good tag match. Um, I, I, one thing I want to mention at this point, do you remember we mentioned uh, David Crockett going to the break uh, before? That actually happened in the last match, the, the Luger Flair one uh, with uh, with the Garvins. Um, <laughs> the, the reason I want to mention that is because he's uh, on commentary solo in the, in the next match. Um, but um, <laughs> during that match, Tony stopped, stops to say, oh, we, we have to go to a break. And um, as they go to the break, you can hear David carries on calling the action. <laughs> um, and the reason I wanted to mention that is because I think it shows that he's so like in the moment that he doesn't really care whether what's going out on the air or not. He's just 
it's almost like um, the fact that we're hearing him on commentary is just like if if there wasn't any TV crew or anything, he would be sitting there shouting those things anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I mean, David had a couple of good ones because there's another one too. Like I remember that one. That one was great. And then there's another one in one match where he says, oh, we have to go to commercial, but we're filming it. If it happens, you'll see it. Like <laughs> he just screams that. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I mean, he literally may be like one of my two or three favorite announcers. Like I honestly cannot get enough. It's basically like just putting a fan in the booth. That's the that's the idea, yeah. isn't it? Like he's just. Uh... But but I mean, but there's so many annoying fans. Like like part of, I cannot tell you at WrestleMania. Like at all the shows I went to at WrestleMania weekend, I was so annoyed by all the fans. And like that's what's so amazing to me because I think like anybody else uh, in this position would be so annoying. But like I I, I love david crockett like he, he does sound knowledgeable he brings up good points but he's so energetic too the, the only person i can even compare him to um in, in terms of announcers is vince 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 does i mean obviously vince is also insane as an announcer but he also plays that kind of faith mark fan role when he's in the booth as well yeah. um and uh i think most of vince's best moments are david crockett-esque in that way um, but yeah, that's a, that's a role that kind of doesn't really exist. I think, I guess David Crockett invented it, right? The, uh, insane Mark fan. <laughs> yeah. Um, so final match then, uh, and it does feel like a main event. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, a fading match really. The uh, ones we watch. Cage match, uh, Ric Flair versus Ron Garvin. This is worldwide. 26th of September 87 from the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan. Um, and I believe it's David solo on commentary with Tony just on commercial duty. <laughs> um, I, I think that's right. I, I didn't hear yeah. Tony's voice other than to um, shill matches once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, well, do you want to start? Well, this one, uh, again, this did feel like a culmination in a main event match. And I thought, uh, you know, I really loved the Starcade match between these two. Um, and I'd, I'd seen this match before, but seeing everything in context to me really made me appreciate this match because I thought uh, the way this match was worked first as a uh, some some great work and back and forth exchange action uh, between the two and then flair worked on top a good bit working over garvin's arm uh, which which I thought was very well done we got some pounding away uh, so so we really had like one thing with this this is a cage match and we didn't really get a lot of cage action. For the first uh, 25 minutes, which I was a little bit disappointed in, as you know in my comments. I do like the cage being utilized. But, to me, the last five minutes and the way they built up to the cage spots more than made up for not having it in the beginning. Uh, Because the last five minutes, they really sort of, the match really breaks down and opens up. And, uh, and, and, you know, this, this match on the surface, when you know that Garvin wins the NWA championship, it's sort of considered a fluke. You think of mm-hmm. it as a fluke. 
So I was expecting sort of a banana peel type finish or, you know, a fluke pin or something would flare. But if you watch this match, it really does not play out that way. Like the last five minutes is Garvin ramming flare into the cage, uh, throwing a variety of offense, and you really get a sense of flare just sort of hanging on and doing everything he can to keep his title. And uh, I thought the ending was magnificent where flair makes this last ditch effort to climb the cage garvin uh meets him up on the top rope slams his head right on top of the cage flair then does his like crouching spot where he falls and crotches himself and then garvin is able to get a top rope uh, sunset flip for the pin and it did not feel fluky it felt like a culmination of this match and of garvin's journey yeah. And it uh, was very satisfying. I mean, I thought this was, uh, uh, again, I feel like I'm repeating myself, but I thought this was a match of the year candidate for 1987. Yeah, well, I mean, um, I thought, yeah, I, I echo everything uh, that, 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 you, that you said there, um, Chad. Um, I will say that they did tease going to the cage early on. Um, if you remember, uh, I think it's Flair tries to ram Garvin's head in and uh, he blocks it. So we, we do get a, a tease, um, but it's not paid off until sometime later. So it's not like they were completely ignoring the cage. It's just yeah, that we also, Yeah, there's also a little uh, tease too where Flair in the very beginning tries to kind of run up the cage too. So that plays into the end too. So very smart. Um, there were some really nice callbacks here, and uh, again, it was David on commentary, and he, he was mentioning it, that um, there was a callback both to the Dusty uh, angle where he tried to break his leg, and to the Jimmy Garvin uh, cage match, if you remember, where he tries to break Jimmy Garvin's leg, um, and uh, he tries to, the, one of the big stories running through this match is that um, Flair is trying to break Garvin's leg, right? Um, right. So I thought there was some really nice continuity there. Um, the ramming, uh, the ramming of um, Flair's head on the top of the cage looked really nasty. And um, I've actually had a real life. Uh, I play five-a-side football or, or soccer, as you'd call it, um, on Fridays, and we play in a cage. Um, and a couple of weeks ago, one of um, one of the players there, he slipped over the ball and he went flying. I, I, he must have gone about like. 10 feet or something flying into the side of the cage and he had a massive gash on his head. He had to go, he had to go straight to hospital and blood was like streaming down his face. Um, so, and the cage is not a million miles away from the, from, from the sort of a wrestling cage. So, um, you know, the friend of me was concerned, but the, the, the wrestling fan of me was like, Oh, that was pretty cool. So, um, I've, I've seen how much a real life, uh, that was like a real life fence injury as it were. So, um, I've seen how much a cage can hurt. Um, the crowd is really, really stoked during this match. Uh, during the Garvin stomp, I thought David Crockett's hair was going to explode. He was so excited. Um, and then we actually got the uh, the sunset flip. And the Detroit crowd goes absolutely crazy at this point. Um, and I was just having a look. You just didn't see title changes on TV that often in those days, you know. Um, for or, or in any arena or anything. I mean... If you were a fan in 1987, I think from from 83 onwards, there would have been, you could count the number of title changes on one hand. So it's not like this happens every day, you know, it's a massive, massive deal. Um, 
And then when everyone comes out to congratulate uh, Garvin and he gets on the mic and he says it's the greatest moment of his life, better than marriage and better than having babies. <laughs> and uh, I believed him. I, I even like got a little bit emotional watching it. Um, it was really effective as a, uh, like you said, a culmination of his journey, um, Chad. So uh, let's just wrap up on the on the match. And then I thought we could talk a little bit about Garvin in general. But uh I would probably go the same for this match as, as for the studio one, maybe even a little bit higher. So four and a half, thinking about four and three quarters for me. Yeah, uh, to me, I'm going. Uh, I am going four and three quarters on this one. Like I, I really feel this one's a, a bona fide uh, top five contender for uh, my favorite NWA matches of the '80s that we've seen. Is the now. In my mind, the Flair Garvin at Starcade is a five-star match. Is it in your mind, or is no? It just... See, this I do want to rewatch that one. I, I, I actually think I like this one slightly better. Like I'd probably go maybe like four and a half on the the Starcade. Right. So, but uh, but yeah, that's the, you include those two matches plus the TV match here. That's a pretty good uh, trilogy they got working there. Those three matches together. Right. And I mean, what I wanted to talk about is that um, I think with the perception, it's a perce- certainly a perception I had when I was younger. And it's one that I'm sure like um, you, you talk to the more WWF orientated uh, fans on your uh, on place to be, for example. And right. I'm sure there'll be some guys who just think, well, Ronnie Garvin sucks. Worst world champ ever. Right. That's his rep. Yeah. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I mean, I think his rep is uh, uh, somebody that they wanted to give Flair a championship win, and uh, Garvin was willing to be kind of the transitional champion. So my so. my view is that watching all this stuff in context, I can absolutely see how it would make sense to make well Ron Ron Garvin the world champ at this point. Um, it makes, I mean, it doesn't seem out of place to me for him to be carrying the strap even for just a month at this point. Would you agree with that, Chad? I mean, it's not like... Okay, fair enough. He wasn't like a main, main eventer type thing. So from that point of view, I could say, well, you know, maybe it seems a bit of a mid-cardy guy to put the title on. But I'm not like... The the feud with Flair is that good, and he's as much of an equal to Flair in those matches um, that it seems to make sense for him to have the title. Yeah, I actually kind of almost wish this was done a little bit earlier and he'd had a little more of a reign, a chance with it, like at the Great American Bash or something like that. We gave him a couple months. So I think the thing with Garvin is that um, they really cut his balls off during the reign itself. Um, Did he even have any defenses between this match and the the Starcade? I don't believe he did, you know. I'd have to look. I, w- I would be surprised if he didn't uh, I, just touring, but he may have not. I, I'm sure I've read that he he really didn't get an opportunity to do a lot. Um, so they didn't really see Garvin as the champ that much um, during that time. Um, and I think it's literally like 60 days, is it, between... I think it's a 60-day reign. Yeah, right? it's not long because uh, Starcade was on Thanksgiving night. Right. So, I mean, he doesn't get along with the title. And I don't think, like, they ever did much to establish him as the champ after this point. Um, so, 
if you remember, the crowd is against him by the time we get to Starcade. Um, and that's in Chicago. Now, okay, I think that crowd had been a little bit pissed off earlier in the night. So that counts for some of those boos. But there was this feeling that Garvin just wasn't, um, even from the fans in that arena, that they, they were booing him going into that match, right? Um, I don't think that it's Garvin's fault, is what I'm saying. I, I think that they they botched his his title reign. It's not that he wasn't the right guy. It's that they didn't do the right thing with him once he got the title. Um, uh, and I think that really has kind of soured his legacy in the long run because people remember that. They don't remember the other stuff. Um, so, I mean, in, in terms of uh, guys that we've seen, I think Ron Garvin's right up there. You know, he to, to me, he's not... Um, it, in the list of like great flair opponents, it, he doesn't look out of place if you list him after um, Steamboat and Funk and Wyndham. He's right in that mix, right? Yeah, I agree with that. All right, well, <laughs> that was a marathon chat. We, we we got through it all. Yeah. <laughs> you looking forward to 88, 88 and 89? <laughs> yeah, I've, uh, I've watched a couple of matches, so we're going to have a couple more great matches coming up. So uh, it'll be fun. Looking forward to it. Yeah, well, I mean, from this point, we, we will try to stick to a more regular schedule after a couple of choppy months. But um, we should be uh, business as usual from now on. Yep, should be good to go um, now that we found the footage and we got the other shows lined up. So, All right. Well, uh, shall we do comments next time, Chad? Do you want to? Yeah, we should be able to have some time next time because we're only even if we add the Morton uh, Flair match, we'll only be at thirteen matches. So we should be able to add in the comments then. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll do some listener comments on some previous shows as well. Uh, but until then, so long. All right. See you, Bart. See you, Chad. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, I'm Jim Ross saying good night, everybody. <laughs>